0: Here we're welcome to RPG Sites Game of the Year 2018 deliberations. It is that time of the year once again. Even though we're, it's kind of we're in 2019 now as of this recording, but you know we wanted to make sure we get in the whole breadth of games that came out last year. There was a lot of late releases, and we wanted to make sure that you know they got the time they deserved. So here we are. Uh, I am joined. I'm I'm the host, Josh Torres. Hello, hi. I'm joined by Alex Donaldson. Hello. Hello everyone. Kazuma Hashimoto. Hello everyone. Brian Vitale. Hello. Adam Vitale. Hi. And James Galizio. Hello. Thank you crew. Thank you team for joining us. And this year we're kind of switching it up a little bit different from last year. Uh, last year we had like you know that main top ten ranking list, and I think we shared the top five maybe. But this year we're doing a little bit something different. We're kind of bringing back a little bit of the categories, but we're uh, kind of reframing them as commendations. We wanted to highlight okay. games of uh, certain elements, certain aspects, and you know for, for the tangential RPGs uh, that are the non-RPGs that we think RPG fans would enjoy. So you know we're not just mainly focusing RPGs, but also things that RPG fans would should definitely look at. So for, yeah. to yeah, uh, do
1: you want to say something, Alex? No, I was, well, I was just going to say, you know, we're calling them commendations because we, we don't want to think of these as awards per se. You know, any game that we mention here will be, you know, we want to say in the, in the area where we've highlighted it, that game is amazing. But we are going to pick one as well that we're going to highlight above all else mm-hmm. in the actual article. And then we get to the meat of the main awards, I guess. Yeah, for sure.
0: And uh, the commendations uh, for for what we have are commendations on story, commendations on music, commendations of design, commendations of art, commendations of environments and immersion, commendations of ports or expansion to an existing game, and a commendation to non-RPGs, but for RPG fans for sure. And after that, We'll uh, have uh, this list. We're gonna have this—not uh, gigantic list, but a, ch- a meaty list that we're gonna boil down to ten, and then we're gonna start ranking them uh, based on what we think is great above all else. And uh, you know, as for each of the commendation categories, we're gonna like uh, talk about what these mean. Like, for example, like commendations of design and art. So, spare with us. Uh, we're, we're in for a ride
1: yeah it's it's gonna be interesting yeah. these things always never they never quite turn out the way uh we expect to there's mm-hmm. <laughs> always a surprise um so yeah 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 so should we get on with
0: it for sure yeah let's start with commendations on story and uh the nominees for commendations on story are yakuza 6 song of life heaven will be mine life is strange 2 and xenoblade chronicles 2 torna the golden country let's, uh, let's let's get into it the uh, first on this list yakuza 6 why should it be uh the best story of 2018
2: well i guess i should leave that conversation because i'm the one that played that and i do most of the coverage on the yakuza series mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i want to get this out of the way first of all i put heaven will be mine on that like just as sort of into this um just because i i know like no one else played this but I just kind of wanted to give it a shout out because it's a really amazing indie visual novel, and it has a really great discussion of like LGBT plus themes, and it's like it's a futuristic sci fi VN. And we probably won't be talking about it very much here because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Oh, but but actually, like, yeah.
0: I kind I kind of want to like put this at the top since I forgot that there there might be spoilers for any of these games we talk about. I'm not yes. gonna guarantee yeah. that you know that'll be completely spoiler free. We'll try if it's you know if it's
1: not relevant to the discussion. I would say maybe but... let's not talk about the end of Yakuza 6. Yeah.
2: Yeah, like I'm not going to talk about the end, but I'll talk about the themes, I guess, like kind of dance yes. around it. So yeah. Um but I, I know Heaven Will Be Mine will not win. Um but I wanted to throw that out there because I think out of all the games I played this year, this was actually the most touching game to me. So that's why I added it to the list despite us not having reviewed it. I, I, I want to hear a little bit time. more
0: about it. Like uh, like the, tell me a little bit about how Heaven Will Be Mine.
2: So Heaven Will Be Mine takes place in a post-apocalyptic future where you play a mecha pilot and you have to fight two other factions um within like these other groups during this future and it's sci-fi future cyberpunk the music's amazing and you can pursue relationships friendships and even become enemies with the other pilots Mm -hmm. and you don't really fight per se but you have to like explore your emotions with each other instead Mm -hmm. so there's not actual any fighting but it's more like introspective dialogue it's really interesting. It's hard to explain for me because it was just like such an experience, but definitely play it if you like visual novels. Huh. It's um, by oh, the people that made We Know the Devil. Oh, I do. oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it, that's the sequel. Um, Heavenly Mind is a sequel to We Know the Devil. It's all the same characters.
1: Oh. Huh. Yeah. Oh, so no.
2: check it out if you like We Know the Devil. Um, but anyways, back to Yakuza 6. So I nominated this. Um, Yakuza 6, because I feel like the Yakuza games are a very educational experience for a lot of people, along with having like really strong stories, because Yakuza 6, um, despite it being one of the weaker entries of the Yakuza series, in my ex- it, like opinion, um, it talks again about like the Asian diaspora in Japan, um, specifically the Chinese diaspora, along with the topic of generational trauma, and explores different parental relationships and what they mean, not just through blood, because the story is mostly about Kiryu and his relationship to Haruka, and by proxy to other characters like Yuta. Um, and it also discusses how difficult the Japanese adoption system is, and all the barriers that he's had to overcome to like actually care for Haruka, and also, by extension, her son Haruto. Mm-hmm. I can't like talk about this in depth, because it has to do with huge spoilers in the game. Um, but I think Yakuza 6, it coming out this year um, and last year in Japan, I think it has a really powerful message just about like family and familial bonds, along like what it means to be like a father or like a parent or even like a paternal figure in someone's life. Um, and I just I feel like it's it's a very like personal story as opposed to a lot of these more grandiose like titles that came out this year uh, that focus on maybe saving the world or whatnot. This is more about, like, caring for your adopted daughter and your grandson and people who, like, revere you or, like, look up to you and whatnot. Uh, it's story is just really good. And, again, it's full of, like, narrative twists and turns, as all Yakuza games are. The ending for this one is was really sad. Um, I played it again. Like, this is my second time playing it. And I think I, I cried again. Hmm. So it's just a very touching ending and a really nice. I teared nice up at the
0: ending too. To
2: yeah. It, oh man, it was a lot. Like they didn't have Sobo, which really like that made me bawl when I played it in Japanese. Mm-hmm. But it was still it was still very touching, I think, and a really satisfying conclusion to Kiryu's story.
0: Yeah, uh, the *Yakuza*. Uh, I definitely echo what uh, Kazuma is saying. It's it's one of those stories that's kind of universal because it's kind of what what we grow up to be what we aspire to be. We want to be a good parent to the future generations. We th- think about a lot about what were the downfall, what were the feelings of our parents? How can we improve upon that? What were the great things about our parents? What can we improve upon that? And then throughout just the the saga of Kazuma Kiryu, uh, throughout the Yakuza games, the mainline Yakuza games, and you kind of see him grow uh, at, first as a person and then how the inclusion of Haruka in his life changes him slowly but surely and it kind of reaches to an interesting turning point by the uh, beginning yakuza 3 when he starts when he starts at the orphanage at that and how he grows as a character from there and how yakuza 6 tackles not only just haruka but how he touches the lives of other people in their relationships with their uh, with their children and what does it mean to be a good parent? Does, is there such a thing that, like, is there a, a universal answer? Or does everyone find their their own path to what being a quote-unquote good parent is? And the the Song of Life really, really drives home that that point in a very touching way. I I, I love As it. As
3: someone that hasn't played Yakuza 6, let me throw a softball. It's the only question I can ask, not <laughs> being familiar with it. Does it work better as a conclusion to a large story arc spanning several games, or as a standalone, self-contained thematic story just containing those characters, or does it work as both?
2: Mm. I would say, in my opinion, it's better as a conclusion to everything that sort of culminated to QDU's life because there are bits and pieces <clears throat> within like the main story that do touch upon like things that happened in Yakuza Two, for example, Yakuza Three obviously yakuza 5 because it literally starts off at the end of yakuza 5 um but i have seen some people approach it as their first yakuza game and still feel really touched by it and then go back and play the other titles however i wouldn't recommend it as anyone's first so on that note i think it stands strongest as the conclusion to like all seven games
1: gotcha i want to say though also i i played it from the perspective of God, I played the original one on PS2 and basically remember nothing of it. And then I played Zero and I want to say maybe about half of Five and then I went on to this game and this game worked just fine for me. Now, admittedly, I'd played Zero really recently at that point. Um, but I think it, it, it does work. It's just obviously it is going to work better if you are invested in these characters and these relationships in a deeper way, which can only really happen through you having interacted with them over a long period of time
0: yeah i will say i will say like the kind of the one of the flaws in yakuza 6 story is that it just it 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 does really great at uh kiryu as a character himself but it doesn't all the all the ones that you've come to care about throughout the yakuza series they're kind of sidelined a little bit in in 6 to really drive home uh his conclusion so that that was a little bit of a bummer on my end
2: Yeah, I, I think that also has to do with the fact that it was, like, a rush development as well. Not to excuse that, but mm-hmm. no, like, uh, it absolutely does, like, put Kitty at the forefront so you don't have a lot of these familiar faces returning. And it focuses on the new cast, too, like, Someya and Nagumo and whatnot right. as well, and beat Takeshi's character, whose name I cannot remember for the life of me. <laughs> they same here. Um, yeah, like, I, I, can't, I cannot remember that character's name mm-hmm. at all. Like, could beat Takeshi. Um, yeah, I just... Uh, it, oh, it's Bittikeshi, he's throwing the baby, oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, like that. that. That's about, like, my range on that character, unfortunately. It's, like, my most... Babysitting 101, like the... go play Yakuza 6. Yeah, oh, that, that's, that whole thing was really fun, though. Like, Haruto as a mechanic was really nice. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> All right, so
3: be. what are the uh, what are the other games in the story category? We have uh, Yakuza Two. So, uh, yeah, can yeah. anything stand up to it? Well, so, we, well I just wanted to take uh, yeah. a
1: second... Um, I talk about Life is Strange 2, because... Mm-hmm. Um, this list obviously was compiled by the entire rpg site staff some people couldn't be couldn't make it to this discussion and i know that game meant quite a bit to natalie and kyle but i played it too um and liz and liz yeah and and so i don't i don't think this wins this category because it, it isn't a complete story yet obviously we've had episode one and two uh well no we've had episode one and episode two is out in a couple of weeks yes um and so I think this is a discussion we're very likely going to be revisiting next year. But I still thought it was really interesting to uh, think about the, both the prequel episode they did and, more, most specifically, the first episode of Life is Strange 2. And I think it deserves a mention uh, just for sort of what they're doing because it would have been so easy for them to replicate aspects of the story they told in the first game because they'd hit upon characters... Uh, and dynamics that people really loved and indeed there was a you know there was that prequel game spin-off developed by a different company that sort of does do that goes through the motions with those characters um i think it's really brave and really interesting what they're doing with these new original characters in this new story obviously um setting it in the game is set a year before it was released. It's set in 20... Is it 20? No, it's set two years, sorry, because it's set in 2016. And basically, it's set right before the election of Donald Trump. Um, and the lead characters of the game are of a background where they would be concerned about some of the things that were on the rise then. And I think it's really, really impressive how they managed to uh, tackle some some very uh, contemporary, present situations and not in a sort of a hands-off way either this is a, a game that outright talks about trump and building walls and so on and so forth um and i think it's really really boldly done now the big question is how that goes into into future episodes and 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 how well they continue to carry the ball with it but i think it definitely deserves the mention for just from the perspective of being Really competent in terms of how he does that.
0: Absolutely, uh, everything I've heard about episode one sounds—it's very promising. And I—I'm uh, with you that I'm glad that they went a totally different direction with this. They're not really relying on like nostalgia for the f- first Life is Strange. They're good. Just they're just going for it, you know. Um, the dealing with uh, just the, the heavy political issues and uh, the racism surrounding it—it's uh,
1: it, it 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 punches you, you know. It, it, uh... yeah definitely I think that's all there is to say about yeah. that though so that then well, leaves huh. yeah. there's oh, one,
4: one more thing I wanted just to mention this is from Liz's review so Liz is in here but I know one thing that she really attached to is the fact that you basically have these brother characters that are your main characters in this game and how a lot of adventure games you make decisions and choices that affect your character but in this this time around you have this basically this little brother that is basically affected by all your actions too and it's just, a, it's just a small extra little wrinkle that like, every decision you make not only affects your player character, which is Sean, but also Daniel, his younger brother. And that was one thing that she really pointed out in the first episode that felt new and different and interesting to her.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I would definitely agree with mm-hmm. all that. Um, but like I said, it's just it's early days because obviously we've got uh, four more four episodes. Four more episodes, to yeah. Um, it, it deserves so a mention.
3: The last... So the last game on this list for story uh, is Xenoblade Chronicles 2's prequel standalone expansion, Torn out of the Golden Country, and I don't know if I want to start out on this because I feel like I was a little bit let down. Um, I feel like for it a was... couple reasons. Go on. Go for, go, go for it, uh, Brian. Yeah. right. Okay. So like. I feel like I was let down for a couple of reasons. First, they, they say it's standalone. You can play it, uh, you know, without purchasing the, the full game. But I feel like the story itself doesn't really stand alone at all because it doesn't. It, it, it 100% assumes you know what led up to it and what it's supposed to be revealing to you, so much so that there are important cutscenes that take place during this time that the prequel just omits. Um, like there's there's a there's literally a time skip near the end of torna where it just glosses over a cutscene from the game that would have slotted in perfectly and I felt like if they showed it it would have given it new context new meaning you would have you know but they just skip over it assuming oh everyone's already seen this so it feels weird like it's like instead of elaborating on the prequel events to the original game they just kind of they just kind of made a separate, thing out of it and it doesn't i don't feel like it reveals much it doesn't really give you new perspectives i just feel like i didn't gain a whole lot from it That, that was kind of my take it wasn't bad but i just feel like it it felt kind of like filler like, that was my takeaway from it
5: i'd argue the, obviously
3: i did not I, I did not put it in this commendation list yeah. i guess if that's not obvious
5: yeah i'd argue that the word that kind of sums up uh, torna for me well two words would be wasted potential like, I do remember talking with um, Josh here, like, as he was going through the game for the review, and I, and the topic of temperantia, or however you pronounce it, came up, and how it just didn't show up in the story when it would have made a lot of sense to see how it turned out that way in, like, back in the day, in Tor- during Torna. And it just doesn't happen, and there's, like, so many things that kind of... Felt like they would have been an obvious like inclusion into the game It just didn't happen.
0: Yeah, um, you guys are uh, are all totally correct on that. It the, the first thing I mentioned in my review is like this is not really standalone. If uh, if you're looking for a more complete Xenoblade experience, um, I did put it on this list uh, for. A little bit of, like uh, similar reasons as Yakuza 6, where it works if you played through all of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Obviously, not as much if you're going into this as your first dip into Xenoblade 2. But I, I like that model. That soft kind of did something different for uh, their story DLC. It's not, it doesn't really expand upon like you know your great understanding of it, but it writes some. It visualizes context into some of the heavier story beats of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Kind of like who was Adam, uh who was he traveling with at that time, who was uh Laura I believe her, her name was. Um and seeing what led to uh Jin's uh path to an, an- antagonist which kind of made me appreciate the the story of Xenoblade 2 more. Like when I, I went back and watched of the story cutscenes. Uh, and whatnot after uh, finishing Torna, it's like oh that you know kind of like the body language expressions of what they what they meant when they were interacting at this part of the scene late game. It's like oh that that makes a whole lot more sense, and I had a, yeah. a better uh, appreciation of that tale. I don't think it wins this over Yakuza Six. I think Yakuza Six drives its homes. It themes much better and a much more universal kind of light. But I I definitely wanted to shout out Xenoblade uh, to Torna because it's a it, kind it, of it's a it's a very unique take on like how you would. I'd go about a story span. it's not like a sequel to xenoblade chronicles 2 yeah i uh, would
1: agree with that bit it's it's really it's really interesting what they do um i think the decision to sort of also make it available in a semi-standalone way is a bit weird considering yeah. the nature of the game <laughs> yeah but um yeah i think as a as a as a spin-off it's a really interesting idea and also, I, 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 I incredibly, it's incredibly no, the interesting. way go ahead adam
4: The way it kind of popped to to me, and, like, I don't know if... So, in the original game, there were a lot of things about the the story and the lore that felt like they were telling and not showing. And the fact... um, I don't know if they purposely did this knowing that they would expand on it later in this, but that's one thing I appreciate about this expansion, which basically Josh said in different words, was now they are showing some of these things, like the in the in the main game we hear a lot and we see snippets of Jin's backstory and why he acts the way he does and basically his views on things and this basically is like all right you heard about it now we're going to show you and so though that that's that's what i appreciate about the expansion is things like that
2: mhm
1: yeah and i think you know we That's the point of these being commendations rather than awards. It's okay to just give something a shout out and say, but this doesn't actually win, you know? Right. I do
3: think it's incredibly interesting how it pared down the mechanics and put a little twist on that. But for story commendations, I couldn't highlight it. Though I will say it did do a couple interesting things with some minor characters. For instance, one of the playable characters in Torna, is Cole, which is kind of a minor NPC from the original game, and the connection's not explicitly drawn out for the player. Like, it it says, like, here's Mithra, there she is. Like, that's obvious, but then it kind of puts these little, you know, semi, you know, subverted ones where it's like, oh, I didn't put two and two together right away, but that makes a whole lot of sense. I like so the side So those do a few quest. interesting things.
0: Yeah. I, I, now that you mentioned I do like the side quest where you have out that uh, that NPC that you go to the various landmarks and then they name it that landmark and then that's still the landmark. Oh, like right. Years like, later in the main game, that's like kind of. in the
3: lake and, mm-hmm. then the, and then the lake's named after her or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they go to that, the yeah, tree and then, yeah,
0: that, That's cool. That, they
1: have
3: fun with it, yeah. Mm-hmm good world building but
1: but i think else? it sounds like that's yakuza right i think it's yakuza 6 yeah right i think that's very much very much deserved um
0: all right so yeah Best so, I guess, uh, story of 2018 goes to Yakuza
1: 6. Well, the this is life. what I mean. It's not necessarily the best story because we're not do it, giving it as an award in that sense, but you know, that's the game we're going to highlight. The right? commendation like, of story of 2018. Yeah, that's the game where we're going to say this story was really exciting and interesting. Okay. Um, and why. All right. And I guess now we do music. Yeah,
0: commendations for music. The, the candidates for that are Octopath Traveler, Xenoblade Chronicles Two: Torn of the Golden Country, Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales, Final Fantasy fifteen specifically the the expansion music to that.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. I, maybe, maybe the you know we're playing it we're playing it by ear here. Maybe these discussions don't need to be specifically about individual games, but I just want to kick off uh, from the bottom of this list, and because I obviously I added Final Fantasy fifteen to this list um and my reasoning is just that though that game's had a lot of trouble and a lot of problems um and was problematic to say the least um but good also in my opinion uh, the stuff they've done with the music in the expansion is absolutely incredible um they've they've done a number just of things just
3: to back up when we're, when we're talking expansion what are we talking just are we talking well, this
1: the DLCs, so are comrades? FF15 has, has gone in so many different directions. Um, so, for instance, they had a guest composer for each of the uh, character DLCs, some of which uh, came out. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, I, I know Keiichi Okabe of Near York fame uh, did the Gladio uh, story, I believe.
1: Yes, and the and, and although it, uh, they they all actually came out last year, but I, ju- I just think, uh, bending the rules a little bit, like, for instance... Episode Ignis uh, came out right at the end of last year after we'd done our debates. Um, and that has music from uh, Mitsuda, from of Chrono fame. And that is some of the best video game music that's come out in a long time. But also the stuff that more did come out this year is mostly um, Comrades, which had a absolutely mad amount of music added. And what's really interesting... Okay, think, so just, this... to,
3: just, to, just to paint the picture, Comrades came out in 2017, but it's 1.2 update came out in 2018, which added yep. a whole bunch of bosses. And, and the game has been expanded
1: that. quite a bit since then. And, and you know, um, to talk in real terms, for instance, the, the thing that jumps out to me is they, they added, like, a big final boss to that game where you, where you fight um, uh, Bahamut. And the music that's in that's that an umetsu um, track yeah mind-blowing and the comrade is full of that stuff which is really really impressive and i think it's impressive for a couple of different reasons um it's impressive because it's just good but it's also Im- impressive because it sort of uh, carries the spirit of final fantasy in really interesting ways while also because these are obviously new different composers but it's um it's these these guys are playing a paying tribute both at the same time to Umatsu and to the stuff Shimamura did in the base game, it's really interesting, I think. Um, and so, even though that's stuff that again, I don't think it wins, but I, I just I wanted to to highlight that stuff because it's think that's something a up. lot of people have missed. A lot yeah, of people absolutely. have missed it because a lot of people are sick of that game, um, <laughs> which is fair enough. Turns out I'm sick lot
3: of it too. Yeah, and not a lot of people are paying attention to comrades specifically updates to comrades. But I agree. When I played that Bahamut fight, I'm like, this sounds like something out of Final Fantasy VI or something like that because it's yes. got Umazu on it, which and that was like his first time doing something that was characteristic of his style with Final Fantasy 15. So
1: and, and even I, just I appreciate you, the call out. Well, just because you mentioned. Um... This is like something from Final Fantasy 6. Even the stuff they added to the Royal Edition of the game, which came out what was that March or something like that, um, so they added the right. Omega fight towards the end of the game as like you know the classic Final Fantasy boss Omega as a as a as a villain, and the way they use uh, a remixed version of the Final Fantasy V boss battle theme. Uh, for that fight because obviously Omega, that was the game where Omega made its debut um, and they used the original victory fanfare when you win the fight, the only place in the game they do that um, yeah, there's some really good music stuff that was done in that game, I would arguably say although they made a lot of improvements to that game probably the most impressive individual bit of all the updates and stuff was the music stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: so yeah um, cool. I guess also, while I'm talking, I, I was I was also the person who did Frame of The Witcher Tales. Again, I don't, I don't think this wins, but I wanted to highlight it because um, it's a lovely, lovely soundtrack. And for a similar reason as as Final Fantasy XV, I think it's going to be overlooked because this is a a card game. You know, uh, I
0: barely know what this thing is because this had like a very like
1: stealth like release. Like,
0: I didn't, I didn't even know it. Was, I, I know this was like on GOG for a little bit, and then. It was like kind of pushed um, into well, steam. So, so,
1: so basically, it's it's you know, there's Gwent, of course, mm-hmm. um, and they had uh, they have their sort of half stone style thing. With is Gwent this as a single game? Is this a single but, player
0: version of that? Gwent, like the story. So Thronebreaker
1: is yeah, it's it's a single player RPG okay. um, where you know Gwent and cards are are your main. Uh, Method of gameplay, but it it is literally like a thirty-hour quest, and there's choices and multiple things going on. Uh, Okay, uh, multiple endings and all that sort of stuff, and beautiful artworks. It's all sort of hand-drawn art and there's other stuff that goes on too you actually have uh, battle you actually have like battle scenes but then it switches to to gwent for the actual playing out okay and stuff like so
0: that. yeah okay so this i imagine this was like originally part of gwent because i remember when they first unveiled Gwent uh behind doors at e3 they were like teasing like this uh, single player like campaign with like branching paths and like choices that matter in it but i guess the, that the scope of that became so big that it became its own thing
1: yeah, i'm guessing that is what happened i'm not 100 sure okay. but that sounds probably about right um, it's a decent little game, but I just wanted to highlight um, The Witcher. Uh, Wild Hunt has a bloody amazing soundtrack. This is many of the same people returning to do some different styles of music and stuff like that. And the soundtrack is probably the best bit about the game. Okay. And and that's it, really. I just wanted to say how amazing the soundtrack is. Um,
0: I think the one of the standout things uh, from the Xenoblade to Torna DLC... Uh, was the different style of music uh, that they chose uh, compared to the base game? There's a lot. It's a lot more like relaxing, and and, and jazzy, and, and there's a lot of uh. It, unlike um the the base game where it had a very like a lot of reliance on violins, this is a m- much more on piano. So, but once like the new battle theme kicks in, there it's like kind of it's kind of meshing kind of like an urban jazz theme with a kind of a of a classical style it's kind of interesting what uh what mitsuda and ace did to kind of characterize uh torna like it's not just it's not just that you're in a different era but you're but you're also like in a different kind of frame of mind because of the music in it, I don't know if anyone I else do, felt like, like that. I
3: don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think like the style of Torna's music really appealed to me personally. But I do appreciate that they said, you know what, we're going to give this expansion its own flavor. We're not just going to give samey sounding tracks, but they're different. No, we're going to make it sound somewhat different. It's going to be characteristic of the prequel and not of the main game. So I do appreciate that they decided to go in that direction. I do like the their the inclusion of like of key moments of bringing
0: that back, uh, like key tracks from the main game into like the more powerful scenes, especially at the end of the game, uh, and kind of it kind of evokes that like oh I remember that like happening at the main game like when they alluded to that it it's 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 well put together, uh, just all around uh, audio wise I really loved uh, Xenoblade 2's uh, the, uh like sound design but I think I think in my heart the uh, the one the one RPG that really stood out most in 2018 for its music was Octopath Traveler. That thing is like oh, a court yeah. of worse when it comes to just yeah. I mean, audio. well,
1: I mean, uh, the music's all good, but I just want to say every single boss theme is just and every single battle theme actually is just mind-boggling.
0: The uh, the one who composed that was uh, Yasunori Nishiki, and I think he's a fairly like you know. New, relatively newcomer on the scene. Like I know he did. Was, was he like part of Side Games or Side Design? I I want to say I think he did some things for Grand Blue, but just this kind of was just like kind of like blow blowout project. Like this is what I'm capable of when I'm like when I'm at the helm. And it just just just, just I already knew the audio was going to be something special from like the the first demo of Octopath. Once you got to the main music theme, it's like whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that yeah,
1: made
4: the music, is real. It is nice to have uh, someone with, like, a fresh blood, you know, rather than something we're familiar with, something new to us mm-hmm. um, with this new composer. Uh, and he did a really good job. And also, you mentioned the battle themes, but there were at least I – can, I can think of two non-battle music tracks that were also well done. So it wasn't just, you know, this upbeat. You know, high tension stuff that was good. There, there was also some just like moment to moment music that I thought was also really. Oh, well for sure.
0: Like, but like Primrose's chapter, like her story beats, like it's 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 filled with like like disgusting dread of like because you know the like the arc of that character, you don't exactly know where yeah. it's gonna end up, but it, he managed to evoke like something just kind of filthy through through the through his tracks, but but it's appropriately like composed for it i actually like the the oberix one when he's like in the coliseum as well uh all the tracks and that it's it's kind of i don't know just from all angles to me well done
3: i will do the requisite call out of the character themes transitioning into the battle and boss themes like seamlessly I know. I know. Everyone's already kind of praised that in their reviews and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I just, it's just it, it. It continues to be neat, you know. Months later, just neat. So and, neat.
0: And there's like dynamic audio design in the in the battles as well. Like when once you start getting like a, a break going, and like you see like all your biggest attacks going, like your music just swells. It's blaring. Like it it knows like how the battle is going, and the music uh like adjusts to kind of bring forth that momentum. It's cool. But the, I, I for, me, cool. for me for I, me I I vote my vote is Octopath
1: Traveler for this category. There was never anything else in mind. My... Yep.
3: I will say though, the discussion of Final Fantasy fifteen like made it cl- a closer runner up with its new tracks than I thought it would be. So thanks for nominating that, Alex. It's yeah.
1: a good shout out. It's just out it's just surprising you know to see a game grow in that way. So I think it was important to note. But Octopath is just this glorious. Uh, sort of throwback and actually I, when we talk about it compared to i think i'm assuming that automata won would have won music had we done that category last mm-hmm. year yeah and so. in the way that auto- it's it's sort of a, a good bedfellow for automata because where automata's music is unpredictable and strange and different octopath is this comfort blanket of of familiar sounding where you go sh- you know shit this sounds like something out of a super nintendo RPG. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Ah, uh, now I'm just reminding uh, reminding of like the port town that uh, Tressa starts in. Oh it's
1: so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good.
0: Alright. Uh our commendation for music 2018 goes to Octopath Traveler. Next up we have the commendation for design. And the uh, nominees for that are Monster Hunter World, Pathfinder Kingmaker, Kingdom Come Deliverance, Pokemon Let's Go and Nino Kuni2 Revenant Kingdom. And before we get into this, like what 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 are we exactly talking about when you talk about
1: a commendation for design? I think we're just looking at and this is why a commendation is different from an award, is that I think we're talking about if a particular piece of design is impressive, we want to offer kudos for that. So as, an, as way of an example, I want to kick off and talk about uh, the, one of the games on this list that I nominated, which is Pokemon Let's Go. And the reason I put this on this list is because, despite the fact that when they announced they were doing it, I thought it was a diabolically terrible idea. Um, removing wild Pokemon battles from that game and replacing them with what they did is a revelation. And now, um, and I've said this before, I said this uh, in an article elsewhere. Now I I think the next if the next Pokemon game goes back to random encounters or goes back to you having to uh beat a Pokemon into submission before you can catch them, they have made a mistake.
0: I'm with um, you. I, I'd rather they stick with the more of the Pokemon
1: go when it comes to wild uh Pokemon as well. It's yeah, or, yeah, I you agree know, with that as well. Yeah. Or if you know if they if they come up with something different, I guess. But I just think that decision is actually braver than it looks because when they announced it everybody uh everybody's shit on it basically mm-hmm. yeah, and cool. and actually when you play the game i i'm i haven't found many people at all who haven't then gone oh this is actually amazing and so that little piece of design i wanted to to commend so i wanted to put that on this list I also really like that they got rid of the bike, so you could just ride your Pokemon as well instead. Yes, that's super cool too, yeah, definitely. Yeah, My right favorite up. thing about that is that because it's a remake of, of Yellow, the the bike shop is still there, but it's just like a, a dude's house who likes to collect bikes. <laughs> and, <that's laughs> cool. and he literally just says, I'm never going to sell any of these. <laughs> but... Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Anyway, yeah, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to commend that um
3: so i'll give a quick shout out to the one that i put on this list which is pathfinder kingmaker so when this game released it was incredibly broken and i scored it poorly and i suggest that people still continue to wait before they play it but i do want to say that one thing that i never thought would work as well as it does is that this is a top-down isometric uh c style rpg like Tales of eternity or um Divinity or whatever, but it also incorporates like kingdom management, almost like strategy light mechanics. And this sounds like a weird like you know something. That it ends up being like uh, peanut butter and chocolate. Like it ends up working together better than I thought it would. Like for instance, you you take over a region, you set up guards, like and that's kingdom management. And then when you and then when you go into battles or quests in that area, your party gets certain buffs to you know their dice rolls or whatever, and I just and that's just that's just the bot that's just that's basic you know chapter one stuff and it gets more complex from there like party members that are your you know your your tank and your your mage and all that end up also becoming like your your like leaders for your kingdom and one's kind of like your general and one's your diplomat and all and I just kind of I thought that that was
1: neat and worth calling out so that sounds cool I've it down for kingdom yeah. management yeah um, I just yeah, want to but... also take a second to talk about Kingdom Come Deliverance. There's a lot about that game that's deeply problematic, and so I don't think that wins this category. But um, I-, I wanted to mention that I think their their devotion to having the game be a more realistic interpretation of what medieval was- life was like um, resulted in some really interesting gameplay stuff. The way that armor works in that game, the way that wounding works in that game, all that sort of stuff is really, really interesting. Um, it's kind
0: of a it's, it's it's a it's a step back, like uh, in terms of like it's go, going back to an era where we it appeals to people who really like the simulation aspect of RPGs, who really wanted like realism and uh, and having to go through kind of trudging through kind of the like the mechanics of almost real life in a sense in an RPG but, and, and people. It, it's kind of cool that it really tries to commit to that. But that's the interesting and one thing. thing
1: that...
3: I was going to say one thing that sticks with me, it seems like kind of small potatoes, but when I was playing the game at E3 2017, when I was first playable, it's like, by the way, if you wear a a heavy helmet, your field of vision is going to be crap. And I'm like, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, they actually thought of that sort of stuff. Like, you put on this heavy helmet that has good armor, and you can't see worth crap because it's got you know just the visor slot to see through. And it's just, I haven't played the game proper, but that, that sort of little that little anecdote of struggling to you know see your opponent because of what you're wearing is just it's kind of like attention to detail or things that are not normally considered because they're, they're too they're too simmy they're they're not fun I guess but they can be fun if if they're if if that's the goal of the game is to to make those sorts of trade-offs. Like you can wear heavy armor but this is your trade-off, or you can wear light armor but you're gonna take more damage or whatever.
1: I think it's really interesting because those like Josh said it's like a it's like a step back to to older days. But what's interesting is a lot of games take that step back, but when they do, it's usually in the context of this is an older this is not an older, this is a cheaper, independent Retro retro game, thing. maybe it's got maybe it's got pixel art or an isometric viewpoint or whatever. What's really interesting is they took those mechanics and dropped them into a, a, an Elder Scrolls or Dragon Age sort of style experience. And it is that thing of to use Dragon Age as, a, as an example, you how you run around in Dragon Age covered in blood and nobody comments any the wiser. Whereas in this, if you walk around soaked in blood after a battle, it has a significant impact on the way people react to the to you, the way people interact with you if people will fear you or whatever and i think that sort of stuff is really really interesting it's unfortunate that it sort of got caught up in other things some of which are outside the scope of the game uh, but i wanted to mention that i thought the way it handled that stuff was pretty interesting
0: okay so before we move on what are we actually crossing off the list uh right well, now can
4: i say one more thing about kingdom home because yeah. i played it um, uh-huh. i don't think anyone else has um, I mean, obviously, what Alex has said is true and good, but a couple of things that I also really appreciated or at least understood the the reasoning behind it was when you're first starting out in that game, um like just like level one, just start getting used to everything you kind of suck at everything. You can't fight. <laughs> you can't wield a bow. You don't know how to pick a lock. That was actually a big point of contention where people thought the lock picking was incredibly hard, and it is when you're starting out. And that kind of reminded me, actually, of... This This might be a weird tangent, but similar comments to Alpha Protocol when yep. that released uh, a couple... Or more than a couple of years ago now. But it's like, this is an RPG where, you know, you're not... It, you're, you really are role playing and when you're starting out, you're not going to be good at these things and you you, you get better at all of the different almost, they're almost like mini games, all the different components to the simulation aspects to the game by doing them more and then you level up and then you get different buffs and perks and things like that and you get better at it. Eventually, you sort of actually become like a walking demigod, to be honest, but um, but yeah, just kind of starting out you feel so vulnerable and you feel kind of pathetic and the, that sense of progression as you go through the game it, it, it it's done fairly well and it's interesting enough um the other thing that i wanted to mention too is combat and combat in this game is it feels intentionally sloppy to me and it i don't know if that's just kind of their way to emulate medieval style combat where um it's not going to be really finesse like a I don't know a like an East game or you know, where people are doing magical jumps and flips and things. It's just kind of this clumsy, uh, you know, sword versus shield type of, type of battle in first person. And it's, it's one of those things you get used to, but it kind of, it also, I feel like I appreciated the style for what it was going for. It's hard yeah, for me to definitely. say the combat was good, but that I, I sort of appreciate it, how it fit to the rest of the kind of the thought process behind the tone and feel and style of the game
1: definitely and it sort of plays into all that right like you know when you have a big helmet on and you can't see shit of course everything's going to be sloppy mm-hmm. um and so the sloppiness is on a sliding scale too where it's not different it, it can be really sloppy or kind of sloppy but you never feel fully like you are a complete master of the blade and i doubt anybody did back then mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh,
5: so... I Mm-hmm. guess nobody else is going to talk about nino kuni too um all I'll say is, is that it did. I'm, I'm not sure if it really fits on this category because it does a lot of things with its design. Like, you have the kingdom building aspect of it, which is basically a mobile game where you're waiting for things to auto finish.
0: Yeah, Nino Kill 2 is a weird thing because, like, it, it has a lot of, like,
5: mechanic. Mechanics, print? none of them really exactly. work together mm-hmm. that much. And, like, you have, some, I mean, the most it works together is, like, it tries to focus on the city building and how, well, on kingdom building and how, like, if you do side quests, sometimes these people will come to your um, kingdom and whatnot. But then you have stuff like the top down, like almost RTS like uh, missions where you're doing like battles with your army. And I mean, I, I liked Nino Kuni too, but I don't think any of its individual designs do anything necessarily mm-hmm. interesting.
4: I've and said this before. Really. I've said this before with Level 5 games, Level 5 the developer, is that they, they tend, a lot of them, to have this sort of kitchen sink approach, where they just shove in different mechanics and sub-mechanics and modes and things like that into their games, mini-games, things like that. And I feel like sometimes the cohesion isn't great. Like, in this game, they have the kingdom-building mode, you have combat, and then you have, uh, like, the, the, the RTS sort of thing that they do and there's also a bunch of like collectibles tons of collectibles in that game and things like that and i just in the with all with the quests and the recruiting and all that i don't think it fits together perfectly well and that's actually something that a lot of level 5 games i think run into um kind of their it's kind of the way they work
0: yeah they do (laughs) they try to do a lot like i remember the when you first got the the sliders for the affinities and whatnot and you can invest points into like the little sliders and it's like wow that's that's a lot. Did, did it really need this?
5: And honestly, I, I didn't even touch that thing the entire game. It, like, like I just didn't care about it. It was, and I mean, a lot of that was the fact that like it was a very easy game too. Like, I actually ended up uh, because I played it before the patch with the difficulty uh, selection came out. <clears throat> I actually ended up using cheat engine to make the enemies more difficult to fight.
0: That's that, that that that's masterful design right there. You have people use cheat engine to make it difficult. That's it. No, but yeah, I totally agree that Nino Kuni 2 is not really. I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but it's it's an interesting look at because we don't really get that many new level five games uh, over here. Not not as much as like as we'd want to anyway. And seeing them like you know the sequel to like one of the most not one of the most revered an interesting one PS3 RPGs RPG. Of,
5: yes,
0: Yeah. For sure, and there there are a lot of like little tweaks that they could have done that would really hook me. At least like custom placement for the kingdom building, because when it comes to kingdom building, a lot of the allure for me is choosing like how I want it to look and where things should be. Like, well, one of the weird things that I like about Dragalia Lost, the, that uh, mobile game that uh, Nintendo and Side Games collaborated on together, there's like a, a kingdom building in that, but you have. Uh, like complete control over where, where you want things to go and you level up your kingdom to uh give you like new spaces to kinda expand where you want things to go and I now have like this really cool like uh thing going on in that kingdom where like here's all my like elemental upgrades, here's my all my weapon upgrades and whatnot and I wish Nino Kuni to lean more into at least if, if nothing else if nothing really kinda clicked for me in that game, but I wanted to at least cling on to something and I was hoping that it could at least fashion out my kingdom the way I wanted it to, and didn't yeah. didn't give me that. So, I should I
5: talk about Monster Hunter now? Yeah, or, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Monster Hunter World's design, I okay. I'm just gonna say this. I think we can all agree that Monster Hunter probably wins the design argument here. Mm, Is it I, just me?
0: I don't know. I I, I like I, I like Pokemon Let's Go in my heart, but I'm not sure. I, yet. I like Pokemon
1: Let's Go a lot, but I I do think that. Um, everybody including capcom uh, for making a monster hunter game that kept the core of what the series was about but also made changes to make it appealing and acceptable to a western audience was impossible and they did it
5: yep um like i guess i haven't really talked about like Exactly how much of a background I have for the Monster Hunter series, but like I've been playing it since Freedom Unite. I've played literally every like mainline game that's come out since then, and it really says a lot that people like me were able, were perfectly fine with all of the changes and actually preferred some of the changes Monster Hunter World made to the mechanics. But that's not the reason why I think it really fits the category for design. And honestly, it's a bit weird because. Um, We also have Monster Hunter under the uh, commendations list for uh, environment-slash-immersion. But I feel like the way that each of the kind of levels or, like, maps, like, the environments kind of mesh with the gameplay is what really stands out to me and makes Monster Hunter World great. Like, you'll have these things, like, little toads that you can kick that can either, like, stun a monster or put them to sleep. You have stuff like... um, uh, Kind of bird things that you can latch onto and they will take you places. You've got the slopes that um, you can slide down and then jump off of to do attacks that deal extra damage, and it just, like, I mean, it's
1: just like—I mean, it's—it's the way that it's a living, breathing world yeah. where stuff interacts. It is that first moment that you see two monsters running into each other, and then it kicks off where you're like, "So,
3: oh. um." I'm the opposite of James, where I played a lot of Monster Hunter World, but it was my first game in the series because I play on PC. Uh, So, are those things that you mentioned, like slopes and the frogs, like are those new to World? Just I'm ignorant.
5: Let me just put it this way: take a look at Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, which also, well, in the West, came out this year, and there were no slopes. Like you had ledges that you could jump off of, but that was a relatively recent. Introduction to the series. Um, if you had anything in the environment, it was literally just stuff that you could pick up, and then small monsters. Like there was nothing besides that. Um, like well, and and then there were like little things. Like in Freedom Unite, there was like a portion of one map where if you're fighting a Tigrex, a monster that's uh, pretty um, pretty uh, famous in the series. If you kind of, you, you could kind of there was a wall behind you and you could like dodge out of the way and it would get its moss stuck in the wall and it would be stunned that way and there was stuff like that, but they were very rare. So pretty much the only, the only things from monster Hunter world that were in the previous games were again, small monsters. Um, you could gather stuff, but not nearly to the same degree as you could in world. And uh, that's pretty much it.
3: And world's yeah, it's got it's- like the vine floors and the waterfall and the, the sand pits
1: like it's got a lot yeah and the thing the thing that i'd say is to to sum it up is that monster Hunter world is a game that you your goal is to kill the monster but that you're not just limited to a couple of options there's all sorts of crazy stuff and your plan can change on the fly where you you might realize oh there's a monster that's that's now hostile that i can lure over here and you might realize that halfway through um it's it's really cool.
0: Yeah, one of the biggest like changes that was introduced in the world, like it, it sounds crazy to actually like vocalize, but just the seamless areas not having to go through zone to zone to zone loading it and then you can actually plan out, okay, we can actually start Thinking about where this monster is going to retreat to, so one of us will branch out and go to like the actual route it might actually retreat to, and then cut off its retreat path there. And that's something and, you can't really do in, in uh, previous Monster Hunters, and that was really cool. Just kind of finding out, like, just in case from bad gets to worse, and we can't we can't get it pinned down to this one spot, someone will intercept it and
1: mount it on its way back. And and little things like you know the way they change, the way potions work. I remember writing about that. Uh, after seeing it at E3, and people were like melting down, going, Oh my god, they've made it so you can move while you're taking a potion. This is Monster Hunter being babyfied." But then when you see it in the context of Monster Hunter World and realize exactly. that because there's no hard borders between areas, you can't jump into an area, chug a potion, then jump back to be safe. Anyone who that, says realize, that
5: they didn't do that in the previous
1: games is lying. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
1: So it, it's. Yeah, I mean it's it's perfect, basically. Um, I, I do think both Kingdom Come and Command Pokemon are both really interesting, um, but I think that Monster Hunter wins this because, like I said, I think it's summed up in the fact that that uh, everyone at Capcom thought it was impossible, and like two three dudes said, "No, we're gonna do it." It's probably uh, it's
0: honestly, if I'm being honest, like it's probably like top five riskiest games this generation. Just uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of just like a development cycle and like how do you make it, how do you reinvigorate this franchise in the West?
1: Fuck, you're, you're crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. super, super cool.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm totally down with Monster Hunter World winning the design in this in this category. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Commendation no, like, for design in 2018 goes to Monster Hunter World. Moving... They thought it was
1: impossible, but it was not.
0: Yeah, somehow they found a way. Uh commendation for art nominees are Octopath Traveler, Nino Kuni two, Revenant Kingdom, Valkyria Chronicles four, Banner Saga three, Moonlighter and Super Robot Wars X. And can, can I mean... what what, what, does, what does that actually mean like? combination for art. What are we
3: talking about? Well,
1: again, it's it's, it's the same. So,
3: so, what to what extent are we going to dance around before
1: giving it to Octopath? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, uh, well, we'll see. Well, uh, you know, it's it's the same situation as design, where we want to talk about what uh, what games do, right? Right. Do special, um, and I think you know what right. was just said is probably correct. I mean, I, I want to briefly just touch on. Ever so quickly, uh, Valkyria Chronicles four and Banner Saga uh, third game. Valkyria Chronicles I want to touch on because that obviously that first game in the series had a had a, a really beautiful uh, specific art style, and then subsequent sequels sort of lost that
2: mm-hmm. in a big way. Yeah,
1: and especially Valkyria Revolution is a terrible looking game. <sighs> it's yes. a real turd. Um, and they they got back there with the fourth game. The fourth game is reminiscent of the first game in all the right ways. Um, I think it's still pushing towards anime a little bit more than the first one did, and I wish it didn't as much, but um, I think it's a really good-looking game. And I'd also like to touch on Banasaga 3 just to say, I, again, I don't think this uh, is our pick by any means because it is a it's the third game in the trilogy and it mm-hmm. the art style hasn't changed but it's still absolutely gorgeous and it's got that sort of um don't know i always think it looks a bit like a high quality saturday morning cartoon you know what i mean mm-hmm. from the nineties,
0: yeah, absolutely
1: um and i've always i've always loved that and so i wanted to highlight both those but i don't think unless any of you disagree i don't
0: i do Val- 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 i can see i can see a, a bit more of a push here but i mean But it leans so hard in the first one. If if this if Valkyria Four was like the first of its kind, like how Valkyria One was, oh, we'd be be winning this. Yeah, we would be having a different conversation. But a a lot of Valkyria Chronicles Four is it's literally giving what people wanted in the first place. It's like you wanted more Valkyria One. Here's a lot more Valkyria One. Maybe a bit more One than some of us would like in terms of like gameplay. Right. Like I feel. I feel like
3: some of the animations are literally like copy pasted. But. I think that's fine. Uh, Instead uh, of trying to do something different or risky, they're just like, we know this works. It works incredibly well. Let's just go with it. It looks mostly the same. I do like the refinements of the engine. I uh, I do hope
0: that, like, if they, like, when I interviewed them at E3 with Zach, um, they said if they were going to make future Valkyria games, this war would be the basis for that. And I hope they really. They not only use it as a basis, but also really expand upon it in all aspects. In terms of like uh, gameplay enhancements, in terms of uh, especially art design, because I really like the the Canvas Engine. But like, there's only so much I can take of the Canvas Engine. If you know what I mean. Like, if if if, the, if there's a Valkyrie Chronicles Five and it looks like the Canvas Engine again without anything really to spice it up, I'd be a little bit let down. That'd be me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to have it on this list just because absolutely um, mm-hmm. it is a miracle. Yes. in the in the uh in the aftermath of the revolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who would have uh, thought it yeah. would actually just like be a hot turn. I thought that series was done. Mm-hmm. Um and to come back with a game that really looks good. Uh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: And the fact that it came like 10 years after the original, it doesn't feel like it's overdoing it. Um you know, there's been enough time that I think that gives me a little bit of leeway towards it being so similar is that we had, we've had a lot of time and a lot of spinoffs and sequels that didn't quite do what the original did. So I, the fact that it leans so close to the original after 10 years, it's like, okay, I can, I can accept it.
0: We, we, we know what, how shitty Vakira Chronicles can look. So that we'll <laughs> not, we'll take anything at this point, but we'll take something at least, you know, as good as one for right now, but please expand upon it in the future. Uh, and you know, not to say that they didn't make any enhancements. Like there are some cool things under the hood in terms of uh, how like snow falls in that game, how like a tank, the tanks move in that uh, game. It, it's it's all really cool under the hood, but it's not as prevalent as I would like it. Like when it comes to the actual on-screen presentation,
3: it does feel a little bit budget when you see so many repeated animations and those mm-hmm. uh, moving portraits. Like just if they had fifty percent more unique movements for their heads, shoulders, and hands, like. The Something thing I'd say to that I is, it would go a long
1: way. the thing I'd say to that is it is clear it is budget clearly yeah um, and that's not necessarily a dirty thing right but no um, and I think that's also right. the reason why it's 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 fair to say that it good that it, that, it, that it that it did good but I don't think it wins anyway
0: speaking of budget things uh, the reason I put super, super robot wars X in here is really for the new the the new uh, additions to it because you know super robot wars games are not infamous for but they do you reuse a lot of assets from earlier super robot wars games like in this one all the returning ones from uh v uh srwv and the, even like the psp games uh like with uh code geass coming back into it like all those models and some of those animations you know are from the psp games like it's not a great look but they they did what they had to to not only include them but also get the proper treatment for the other new ones in there but like uh the new additions specifically Hero Wataru and um uh, reco uh, Gundam Recon, Gista. like uh the, those those types of uh series are really hard to nail when it comes to their kind of vintage style uh Mashin Hero Wataru is like a early 80s late 70s anime that like it's really easy to mess that up like I really like the inclusion of when you first get the mech uh like the, the kid gets uh, the mech they actually have like a really like Small window in that game, they just show that that depicts of that exact scene in the anime, it just shows an anime scene from that game, but it evokes that feeling like, yeah, this is finally in the video game, I'm finally getting this awesome mech. And uh, in the same vein of uh, Gunnery of like it's it's it was a show that it's a fairly recent show, like 2015 or something, or 2014, but the the style they used for it is very like mid 80s, early 90s. Kind of mech of like uh, very very thick outlines and the way they move is uh, like hand painted. And for them to really nail that in the game, especially the main mech in that Gundam Recon Gista game, like you can tell where the budget went in that game. Uh, Of course, at the they kind of had to sacrifice some of like the returning ones and the way like, hey, we'll add in some new animations, but the real stars of that game were the new additions. And just seeing that really. Like lovingly represented in that game was amazing. Like I, like memories of that flowing back to me. Of like wow, they really fucking nailed it this time around. Super Rebel Wars is, X isn't gonna uh, win this category, but just the new art design in that I game is just top tier stuff. From especially from a, a a player of all these games, like I kind of know what I'm in for every time I go into these games. But just seeing them nail that aspect, uh, I was blown away. It was awesome.
1: That's cool. That's really interesting to hear. Um, Moonlighter is just gorgeous looking. Lovely little independent game with some beautiful sprite art, um, and I think we're going to talk a lot about sprite art <laughs> shortly. But um, I just I put this on the list just because I think it's an absolutely gorgeous looking game, and I think Liz reviewed it if I remember correctly, and she loved it too, and gave it a nine.
2: I reviewed it. Yeah, I reviewed it. Yeah, I reviewed it.
1: Yes, and you liked it. Right? It was a
2: nine, right? I love Moonlighter. I still go back and play it a lot. It has so much personality, like the sprites and all the character art. It's absolutely vibrant. I think the world was just like so cozy and nice to be in. Um, Even in the darker dungeons, there was just so much atmosphere, and so many like Uh, the environmental design is interesting because a lot of the story is told through like memos or like looking around through rooms and finding items. Um, So I really like that and regarding its art i also like the kind of font they picked because it wasn't hard on my eyes and i have yeah, really it's bad really clean eyesight too. yeah so it's so it's very easy to read incredibly legible um, the art's crisp the sprites are bouncy it's it's really nice it's just a very good feeling game font overall. work is so
0: important it's like one of the most over, like overlooked things for people <laughs> so that's really yes, good to font, hear actually
2: <laughs> font is very important to me i have incredibly bad eyesight so if I'm an i like it, it, yeah if a game that I play gives me bloodshot eyes after like an hour. I'm like, okay, I, I can't play this a lot, but Moonlighter didn't have that problem. So everything was incredibly legible. Um, the button prompts were really well done. Um, just, it's all, and this, the overall UI, like, and UX is just, it's so pleasant and well-designed. Yeah, every, well,
1: everything about it, not even just the UI, yeah. just uh, the animation has this lovely, smooth quality. It, mm-hmm. There's so many games that do this lo-fi graphic style where, you know, they try to ape, you know, Super Nintendo, Saturn era, Sprite Work, and not many get it right, but but Moonlight Moonlight is definitely one of the ones that I
0: first. need to go I need to go play that. Did they uh actually like release all the things they had in the roadmap? Because I think that was like the primary thing that held me back from getting that. Uh, I think it was the game that had like the release and then it had a roadmap of things to be added post release. Yes,
2: everything everything's out now, including the new game plus, which adds a lot to the game actually. Going back and replaying everything, getting that new set of armor and weapons is really great.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Nino Kuni Two. Yeah, um, Nino Kuni Two is kind of. It, I'd it's, say
5: it's... that the art style for Nino Kuni Two, like specifically of the different kingdoms, is like the most interesting part of that yes. game. Uh, yes,
0: they, they did a great job, like giving each kingdom its own personality. Like the Water Kingdom is always gonna be the one that sticks out to my mind in that game because that was that was my favorite one. Uh, just from top to bottom in terms of design, but also like the the story they were telling in that arc, but. There's something that still is more charming to me in Nino Kuni 1 than in Nino Kuni 2. Like, I know Ghibli isn't on board with Nino Kuni 2, but they try to evoke that style. But Nino Kuni 1, like, I don't know, that did more for me than Nino Kuni 2.
4: I feel like one thing that's worth mentioning with Nino Kuni 2, and that's a knock against it for art, is the world map and the sprite. The, uh, the little 3 model. model? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I never really gelled with that. <laughs> It just
0: it looked clashes. Like, it looks like a board game almost, but not a great, great looking one. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I didn't think. I forgot about that part of the game. Yeah, I, I, I really. It's it's clean. It's vibrant. But the, there's too many inconsistent things about that game that I could really bat for it. You know, because it, for for every step forward, I give Nino Kuni two. I think of like two steps back of like, well, they could have done this instead.
5: Yeah, that's the okay. thing that really gets me with that game is that like in pretty much every category there's like some things it does well and then you look at another portion of that very same thing and it's like, okay, so if you got that right, how come you messed up this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: um and then we have Octopath Traveler, which kinda speaks Ooh. for itself at like first glance. The like obviously, you know, the their self-labeled HD two D thing. Totally worked out. Like I thought, it was gonna get old. The one thing I, uh, the one knock I had against it that thankfully they added in as option in the final game was getting rid of like the or making the borders less dark in it. Yeah, that didn't really gel with me. Yeah, like, definitely.
1: Yeah,
4: the vignetting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, turn that off, like first thing you could do.
3: <laughs> but and it's so. it still had this strong depth of field effect too, which you couldn't toggle. But yeah. that's like. That's like nitpicking at that point. Like, I wish you could toggle it, but it's. It I, I totally real, get like, why it you does can't. so many yeah. things well.
0: The 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 whole diorama look to it. It's just right. It's, uh, I wish all like all my favorite old GRPGs like got a modern remake that looked like that. You know, it's like man, I hope someone somewhere just like pumping these out. It's it's cool. Uh, the lighting effects, the, the especially the explosion effects during battle, especially on yeah. oversized boss sprites. Oh, it's awesome. I, I
4: I really love how they just brought back the old school Final Fantasy type, where like the bosses, even though they're humans, they're like towering over you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's just it's just that that's a little one of those nostalgia things. It's just cool. You, like, you even
1: have the sprite do sprite work it. though on the on the overworld. You know, this is. They have a lot. The game, if Octopath has a problem, right, it's with the story. But those, uh, the sprite work of the characters has so much character, and the way the sprites change based on the jobs that you have equipped and all that sort of stuff is super cool. Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. just seeing all the everyone's fan art uh, a few months after that game came out of like everyone in their own in their own attire when you equipped them a certain job. It's like it was cool to see like you know what people's (laughs) interpretations are.
3: And it's crazy the amount of detail. Like it's not just a palette swap. Like if you turn Tressa the merchant into a subclass hunter, she gets like the hunting hat, like the the, the pelt hat. Like it's just yeah. stuff like that. Where it's not it's not just like they borrow the color of the other character and get a palette swap. Like no, it's actually like this is what this character would look like as a hunter or as a fighter or whatever. It's just look huge attention to detail. So it's stellar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So Fair I mean, I mean, the the funny thing is, I think there are still problems with the Octopath art style. I think the way the 3D environments work is a little off. The perspective definitely needed some work. Um, But ultimately, um, it's such a unique, interesting, brave choice that I think it wins over Moonlighter. Um, And part of the reason why I think it does take away that main commendation is because you know, we want to encourage more of that because there's two ways to do that retro throwback and what? well, there's three ways really. One is to do like the hideous sort of art that they've done in the uh re releases of like Final Fantasies five and six. Uh another way is the sort of really grim looking, uh characterless three D artwork that we've seen in stuff like uh Lost Sphere and uh whatever the other one was. I, I forgot Setsuna. what it's called. I am Satsuna, that's it. Um and then The other way, the correct way, is this way. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: One game that wasn't in the art category that I feel like I should just mention is Dragon Quest. Like that Toriyama Dragon Quest style is well worn, but to see it kind of like in H D modern lighting and bloom and occlusion effects, like it's not it's not surprising, but it still looks great. Like it doesn't do anything new, but it still looks Exactly what you'd expect a modern Dragon Quest to look. It yeah, yeah. Uh, some really cool you. locations, like the, like the um like this the seaside city and the um the the Japanese styled Hutaro. Uh, I don't remember the names of the cities, but the, the each each location has its own distinct look within that art style. So I feel I lo- like I should I, at I, least call I, it I, out. Uh, yeah, Ooh.
0: I I love the the little animation quirks they have for each of the bosses in there as well. Like they kind of just. They kind of twitch a little, or they kind of pants a little. It's like, oh, you're so adorable. <laughs> don't want to hit you.
4: I don't know if this fits the category, but one thing I liked about Dragon Quest Eleven it, that might be art is NPC animations yes. in just various towns. Like there are some like dancing, some like juggling, you know, chasing each other. Just, there's a.
2: Uh, I, there was I enough variety
4: the, in the animations that i I really appreciated that they weren't all just doing, I mean yeah there's there were a number of repeated ones, but still there's enough like unique ones in different towns that I
0: like that too. I use the first person camera more than I should have in that game because of that, or did yeah, the first person view it was it was cool but ultimately uh, our commendation for twenty eighteen goes to octopath traveler, and it's a uh, well learned well learned for that one, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, for our commendations for uh, environments and immersion, our nominees are Monster Hunter World, Yakuza Six: The Song of Life, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Vampire, and Dragon Quest XI: Echoes
3: of an Elusive Age. I was surprised to learn that it was pronounced vampire. I just assumed it was vampire, spelled differently. I was like that It's I, actually I, vampire. I flipped
0: a coin on that right now. I was like, should I? i didn't know how to pronounce it until just now Nah,
3: you're you're right apparently sweet like, i think i forget who tweeted that whether it was the dab or the pub but that's how, that's it vampire
0: nailed it so let's well, talk about Vampires. For... okay I so i put it.
1: this i put this on this list and i put it on because it has the really interesting concept where obviously um you can feed on most any npc in the game um And that sort of, you know, has a see. This could have also fit into design in a sense, where that sort of can have a knock-on effect and 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 on on the state of the world and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I just feel like it's a. It was a, you know, it's not a, it's not a high budget game, but it's it's got high budget ideals. It's got lofty ideas. It has heart, and like I feel like they spent the money in the right places to make that world feel really alive and really well really immersive as is yeah. you know that's a fitting of the category I, you know i don't think it's one of those ones where i don't think i would fight for it to be the number one in this category but it's a game where i really wanted to highlight it especially because i don't think it's going to get highlighted anywhere else here
0: yeah i, I, I would have, i wouldn't cross it off yet because it is that is the thing about that game for me it's it's a very it, they nailed the like the heavy oppressive not not necessarily hopeless but it's just kind of it's just kind of Dink and dark. To, to no,
4: I have not played this game, but from what I know of it and seen of it and what I understand, the fact that it, you know, most NPCs in most games are there to offer a little bit of flavor text, uh, maybe hints here and there, but in this game, NPCs are more entwined with the actual mechanics of the game in terms of a decision you have to make on do you basically use them, eat them, and uh, For experience, or do you keep them alive for other reasons? Like, um, am I has have you played this, Alex? I'm not sure. Yes, yeah. Like, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know the specifics of the ins and outs of how that works. But the fact that NPCs, you have this decision to make on basically how much do you exploit them for, because you can gain exp from using them or eating them, and Uh, that can
1: have a big impact on on a lot of things, which is really cool.
3: mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's it's. it's got a lot of choice, and it's got a lot of heart, and I think um, for a game of its size and scope, I was really impressed by
0: it. Yeah, I, th- I think it stays on for, for a bit. If, uh, I wouldn't cross it off just yet. Uh, um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Let's talk about that. <laughs> it's big. Very big. Well,
4: with Assassin's, I have not played Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but I've played other games in the series, and to be quite frank, environments and immersion... might be the selling point for the Assassin's Creed series. Like, seeing these ancient locales, historic locales, big cities, um, whether it's Rome or Egypt or Greece in this case, um, and basically seeing these worlds come to life. Like, there are people who will play the series just for that. Um, So I definitely think its inclusion on this list as a nominee is definitely worthwhile. This this they
1: actually added that like historical tourism board basically
3: well they actually added that like in educational mode i don't know if educational is the right word but that tourism mode to the game
2: yeah it's the museum mode
3: i feel like i should
5: talk about assassin's creed but i haven't actually played it yet but like i'm predominantly greek so i probably should play it (laughs) because of like this well just my my ethnic background i should
3: Mm -hmm.
4: yeah yeah like i I don't know how like historically accurate we can expect Assassin's Creed to be, but just even just a a recreation of those worlds in a game like this is just you know that's I think that's it's a huge draw for the series, really, you know people yeah, like I, when people talk about Assassin's Creed when people talk about what's coming in the next Assassin's Creed game, they're not talking about story or character, they're talking. Where is it going to be located? Because that's what people care about.
2: Yeah, I uh, reviewed um, Odyssey and Origins for the site. I think my favorite aspect of Odyssey was actually the environments. Um, it, it, it was really beautiful. And there were even... I know some people were making threads about this before the game came out about how, oh, so in ancient Greece, the statues were actually painted. Well, when you go to like the bigger cities, the statues are still painted. So they did add that bit of historical accuracy. Um, so you do see all of these, like, really amazing statues of these, like, Greek heroes and myths, like, painted, or you can go to, like, the Temple of Artemis and fight the Caldonian boar and, like, the area it resides, and there's this huge, beautiful, like, crossing before you get there, and... I think the best part of Assassin's Creed games are actually going through and ex- just experiencing the environments, because at this point, this is probably the best part of the game. Just sort of existing within this world and taking pictures or sailing your boat across the ocean and discovering islands. It's the probably the strongest part of the entire game, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, they're, that, that team is, has been really good at just getting like meshing together diverse environments together and making it feel natural. Like traversing through it. You don't feel like out of place when you, when you run around that world.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: Um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, Yakuza 6, then let's t- talk about it a little bit. Is Yakuza
4: 6 mostly on this list because of its recreation of different locations in Japan?
0: Mm.
4: Or is it more like wh- whoever included it on the list, you know, what specifically were you noting it for?
2: I don't think I put it on the list. Actually, I put Assassin's Creed on the list. But I can say from playing a lot of Yakuza 6, the environments are a one-to-one like recreation of like Japan, like either Kabukicho or Onomichi. Like of the year the game was like released, which is incredible. Um, they also have like this new feature with the camera phone where if you take pictures, um, citizens will pose with you and whatnot to add like that like another level of immersion. Was this
0: the one that you can take selfies in, or is that five?
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. That that's the one where I was always like taking pictures of the baby and putting okay, them on Twitter. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, me and Haruto, you know, like yeah. Um, but I remember posting pictures when I was like going through Onomichi and putting them on Twitter, and people were like, oh, are you in Japan right now? Because people thought this was like an actual photograph. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So like the environments in this are incredible and astounding, and again, this game really lends itself to like its virtual tourism, because I think Yakuza Six has some of the most impressive recreations in terms of its environments and immersion that I've seen within I don't know the games I've played this year I, I, I liked it better than Assassin's Creed Odyssey despite like the scope of Odyssey the environments in Yakuza had more character like sometimes I'd see like a cat crossing um, a rooftop or I'd encounter citizens walking somewhere to go pray it, it's really nice like sure everything kind of loops at some point but just watching the sunset in Onomichi is just really amazing.
1: (laughs) I think also, I mean, I think it's worth, as far as this and Assassin's Creed go, what I would say is, is what Yakuza does is the time period has changed a bit, but what that series has done has been a bit of a known quantity, especially in the HD era where they've created these really impressive representations of areas of Japan. Um, which is impressive, but when you get to six, it is sort of it is sort of somewhat of a known quantity. Um, whereas the one thing that Assassin's Creed does is that it is different almost every time and it and it, and it is them starting, you know, completely from scratch and that's and really tackling something that's really, really different. And in that sense I think Assassin's Creed perhaps is a tad more impressive. But I think what Yakuza does is really, really awesome.
4: Yeah, I get that point.
1: Yep.
2: I agree, but I don't think anything holds a candle to Monster Hunter World. So Definitely. It's like I was
5: saying, like, parts of the design, the reason why we were arguing for the most part that Monster Hunter World 1 and design is the way that the environments and the immersion worked hand-in-hand hand with the gameplay. And I think that really yeah. is, when you, when you come down to it, it's what sets it apart from the rest of the titles on this kind of shortlist here.
1: Definitely. And it comes back around, right, where it's i almost feel like we're repeating ourselves but it's all the same stuff we argued about for the design where it's all about how it's not just about the world being beautiful and feeling cohesive and i do think the new world of monster hunter world does feel cohesive Um, it does feel like that could be one continent with all these different areas um but also it's within those areas how those areas feel like living breathing places where the places that monsters hide out or go to when they're injured or whatever all makes sense um and so it's not just about good design it's about the immersion you feel where you're there and everything feels like it interlinks in the right correct way
5: like one um, of my favorite features Monster monster world which you don't really see that many people talking about but the whole like capture net mechanic and how you have all these different like species in the world itself and there's like a an entire like almost like mini game like you don't get anything from it but if you see like the well besides some trophies but if you see these like living beings in the environment that are smaller you can and you're like hey that looks cool you can literally just like throw a capture net and then you can put it in your room and it's just i did that so many times and it was just it, it it's fun, like, it, it doesn't do anything for, like, your weapons, it doesn't do anything for your armor, like, the most you get, again, is some trophies, but it's fun because, well, the world, each area feels fun to explore, like, and I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but the fact that there is that Well, there's there's
3: some problem. neat little uh there's some neat there's some neat little things that they do with that where like certain birds will ride on the backs of those like dinosaur type things or, or on the top of the moss swine pigs. Like they're not just like, you know, plopped down in random spots, yeah. like fish in the water and bugs on the walls. Like they actually kinda like interact in small ways. So certain, it like, is it is relatively neat for such a minor system.
5: Yeah, and it's like tied into either like for some, like if it's raining then certain like living things will be out that aren't usually out or like in the morning or at night and just they didn't have to do that but what really makes each of the areas feel alive is the fact that it's
1: there yeah yeah i mean well also i want to note you know dragon quest is listed on this too um and i think it is a beautiful game in terms of the stuff like that but I don't think anything on this list holds a candle to Monster center.
4: It Dragon is. Quest, it, it's nice to see a big budget Japanese RPG get, you know, so we can see like these, these environments and things like that. And it's also more, it's more that anime style rather than like the Final Fantasy 15, slightly more realistic, still anime, but slightly more realistic style. So it, it was kind of nice to see that in a big budget game. Um,
0: it's a good throwback, but, like when you when you like recall like you know your fond memories of like old Dragon Quest games, and you still want to see them like like re envision and imagine like for the modern age. You would think of Dragon Quest eleven in your head pretty much, mm-hmm. and that, yeah. that that was cool.
4: But but I do think it does lack a bit on more of like it doesn't have quite the same level of immersion as some of these other titles. Mm-hmm. In the world, yeah. So it's a little bit more old school that way, partially by design, probably. Um, so, I think I think it is notable just for being that big budget Japanese style RPG that is classic style still.
1: Yeah,
0: but, but I think it's Sorry, go on, Josh. Yeah, it's just Monster Hunter World. Just has it has so many things going on that work together in harmony, and it nails it. You know, you, you when you when you play it, you are in there. When you're f- facing a monster with your friends or alone, you are. Sometimes it's not even just you against it's you against the environment. Uh, the and, <laughs> and sometimes your
1: back's against the wall and you think I'm doomed and you turn the camera and you realize there's something there in the environment that can save you a trap that you can trap the monster in so you can get away for long enough to potion up or whatever and that is or a wall that you know that you can trick the monster into smashing down so you can get an escape out of a cave and that stuff's really cool
0: yeah but let me, let me tell you as a bow user in that game walls are my favorite because of running up a wall and shooting a shot, off a shot oh, every time super satisfying
1: so i think that wins right yes i I think monster hunter
0: world like i know i know it's a lot of monster hunter world and octopath both of them were super excellent this year it's tough
1: it's not an easy year not an easy year so Um, uh, go for
0: it
2: well port
1: (laughs) port or expansion to an existing game so we just wanted to highlight some ongoing game-as-a-service stuff, and we've kept this to console rather than opening the can of worms that is mobile games that do this. Because otherwise then we're going to be having discussions about Pokemon Go and all sorts of stuff. But, so there's a few games on this list.
0: Yeah, we have for nominees for recommendations for port or expansion to an existing game. We have the, the console release of Divinity Original Sin 2. We have the ongoing support and Windows support of Final Fantasy fifteen. We have the Elder Scrolls Summer Set. Monster Hunter World with its PC release and ongoing new monsters, Uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, which got uh, released on Switch this year, and Destiny Two Forsaken. I just want to
1: hop in and just mention a couple of different. uh, I think a couple of ones here. Uh, First of, I I don't think this is a category that Monster Hunter wins for once. Um, The support's been okay, but not not mind blowing. I actually sort of expected a bit more than about the rest of you guys. Um, I agree. My
3: my one sentence that I want to add to Monster Hunter before we put it aside for one of these categories is that I do feel like this is a game that PC players have been waiting for for a long time. Like, it just fits that sort of, like, my personal background is that I actually am in an MMO guild, and... They're like, hey, this Monster Hunter game going to PC. Let's let's set up a different room in our Discord and you know set up some you know hunting groups on this. Like, and obviously it had huge consecutive sales number or consecutive player numbers on Steam, and it it, it meshed well with I think the PC player base. So that's my one contribution to Monster it, Hunter I, on ma-
0: Was it Monster Hunter World like Capcom's like best selling game ever? <laughs> the, yeah, just within the span of a year. Uh, right, like it yes, it it, it, it dwarfed
3: yeah. uh, it dwarfed other. Capcom PC efforts like Resident Evil and uh Dragon's Dogma like completely crushed them like five to like, one I or something like
5: that. If Monster World on PC is like in top like five best selling PC games
1: overall this year, I would like which would is insane. Shocked. Yeah, which would yeah. um But yeah, I don't I don't think it, it it trucks in terms of the ongoing support. We need to see how that goes next year. We need to talk about um, Iceborne this mm-hmm. time next year. I'm sure. I will but, say, um,
5: I, I don't want, like, I agree that it probably doesn't win, but I do want to stress that they've been doing a good job. Like
1: Yes, definitely. Of, well, that's like, why it's on the list,
5: adding, right? Like, the different, like, seasonal festivals they've been doing, and, like, the even the art-tempered monsters and whatnot. Like, I think they've been doing a good job, and considering all of it so far has been free, like, no complaints.
0: Yeah, I think the only yeah. things you pay for that is like the little emotes with like the, the costumes, like the collaboration emotes costumes, or
5: better costumes
1: for the handler, and that's it. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wanted to mention quickly, just you know, a shout out to Final Fantasy Fifteen again. Similar situation to as with the music. Um, I don't think, in good faith, it can win in this category, given that uh, Square Enix proceeded to cancel half the stuff they had planned, but but the initial. Um, the initial run half is generous yeah the initial run they had on pc special live stream console updates was really really good and the pc version launching with like nvidia ansel support they were one of the first games to support the dlss uh anti-aliasing solution if you've got a 20 series card um has been really really good and their plans for mods really really good really really impressive unfortunately yeah, not all of that is going to make it it seems um it seems that they change their minds about some things and that sucks but it would be remiss and that, to not that say, pc
3: support is that pc support also is extra remarkable when you look at how 13 series launched on pc as like a train yes. wreck and i still don't think you can play that at 60 frames per second not, uh, not even or, just or, 13 yeah, which just i was,
1: like not even just thirteen though, no, just like the state of Final Fantasy on Steam on PC in general. You're right, you can't you still those PC versions of thirteen are still fucked up. The the best version of thirteen now, bizarrely, is, is the is the backwards compatible Xbox three sixty version because they patched in the high res cutscenes, it runs at native four K.
2: <laughs> like, how else? that
1: happens, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Um so I just wanted to mention it, but it isn't it clearly isn't a um it clearly isn't a winner in this category. Yeah. Um I feel like, uh,
5: well, I'm not sure how much of Destiny 2 Forsaken you ended up playing, Josh. But I feel like I'm probably the one that has the most experience with it and the previous expansions to talk about it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I played also- uh,
0: all of all of it. Like, played uh, like a little bit of camp. Uh, no, have I you done the raid yet? I didn't do the raid, but I got all through the Forsaken campaign. And like, uh, I've just been. I got stuck at like gearing up for the raid, and then uh, what? Yeah, but but I I liked what I saw, you know.
5: Yeah, what I will say is I put Destiny Two Forsaken down here, but I feel like a lot of the changes that people actually care about in that game happened with the expansion before that. That being uh, Warmind, mm-hmm. um, they started adding in like all sorts of exotic quests, so like unique content to get unique guns that's like they don't outright tell everyone about, so they had to discover it. Um, I guess when it comes down to it, I mean, it's great that they've essentially fixed the game, and it's actually what a lot of people wanted from a Destiny 2 now, but the problem is, is they already had to fix the game once. Like, the first game, like, everyone said, oh, now that the Taken King is out, it's fixed, you can get it now. And it's like, oh, now Forsaken's out, you can get it now. It's just like, they've done a good job fixing it, but it should have been this way to begin with. Especially well, I, after that, that's why. That,
0: that's one. why they have the annual pass. That's why they they they're now have a new like path forward instead of like bringing out stuff like Osiris and Warmind, which you know like, yeah, the the, the, the short campaigns are like kind of like the worst part about them. Now they now with the annual pass, they have stu- stuff that's just focusing on the content side. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do for the story side, but yeah. I, I, I like the, what they're what they're trying to do, especially after you finish Forsaken. And how um, they try to contextualize why there's a weekly reset with everyone like like not losing oh, their yeah, memories, but like like the recurring thing of like why are we going through this same like like a big Groundhog Day going on in that game? Like
5: yeah, now that you mentioned that, I'm I can't believe I didn't put Destiny Two down for environments like Monster Hunter would still win, but the entire thing with the Dreaming City and how it's on a three week timer and it, ha- it 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 it's really interesting. It's hard to contextualize unless you were actually playing the game as it was evolving. Mm-hmm. but it was just brilliant like best part about the expansion aside from the raid which is from what i've heard the best raid they've ever done and i can believe it because it's amazing full of content it's it's hard i have immense respect for anyone that, on console that can manage it because like specifically the second to last encounter there it's like keeping track of like these things on the boss and it's like okay if you shoot the wrong thing it's an instant wipe <laughs> it's like Like, on PC, like, most people use the text chat to, like, keep track of, like, okay, so you're going to want to shoot this. Not this. This. It's just... But uh, yeah, it, it, like...
0: it, to me, it's a, it's a roller coaster. Like Forsaken has really really high highs, but the the rest of Destiny two, like be- leading up to it, I wasn't a big fan of Osiris. Warmind was whatever. I was kind of like by the time Warmind, it's like oh, that's all of Warmind. Well, <laughs> oh.
5: Warmind, the story itself isn't amazing, but like Mars itself is a lot better than Mercury. Like oh, yeah. and Osiris, and then you have like stuff to do on Mars. Like you have the caches that you can open up. You have the um data cat um the data um things that you can shoot and get exotics that way and then yeah uh there's the whole thing with the whisper which is a really interesting bit of content where it's like every weekend you can go on to uh, io and there's this um kind of secret mission you can do to get this exotic gun called the whisper which is the most broken sniper in the game and in some cases like it's the gun that everyone uses for the raid because it has the highest DPS if you have it um, leveled up with the catalyst and you can actually line all your shots up, right?
0: Yeah, so. uh, it, it's just it. T- to me, this need to is like it's it's an admirable amount of like ongoing support, but it, it's in we've we've been through this like cycle before yeah. with the Taken King, so like it's I, I'm right. not I'm not I'm not opposed to, like you know
5: if, we're, if on, we're rating it yeah if we're but, rating it purely based off of the improvement and the amount of content then forsaken in my mind wins but it's more like begrudgingly like yeah you fixed it but it shouldn't have been this bad in the first place <laughs>
0: yeah that's that, that's a good way to put it so i'm i'm not going to i wouldn't cross it off just yet because there were a lot of interesting tweaks to that game and big changes yeah I want to hear more about uh, the the other stuff on this list.
1: Well, I, I just want to uh, talk about Elder Scrolls for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this could totally be a contender. Um, it's, I think, the ongoing efforts to um, the ongoing efforts to sort of sort out the Elder Scrolls Online have really added up to to a much more special game than what launched. I think it's sort of summed up on on uh, on Steam where like. Uh, if you look at the, the reviews over a long term, then the reviews over a long term are, are mixed at best, uh, perhaps even trending towards the negative. But the recent reviews are pretty much universally very positive. And they've really sort of taken this game, got it to a really good place. And they've sort of taken the game and made the MMO format fit the Elder Scrolls in a way. Like Dropping the subscription fee made a lot of sense because then it becomes this MMO that... As I've done, you can sort of dip in and out of, and you don't really have to commit to playing in a hardcore way. Like if I'm bored or if I'm hungover, I'll boot a bit of Elder Scrolls online. Um, and the other thing that I really like, they did set, and they've done this with uh, they've done this with other expansions too, is that you can jump in at any expansion basically. So if you are interested in playing uh, the Morrowind section because you're a fan of Morrowind. You can buy that section, and that is that then becomes your starting zone, your starting quests, that is all that really stuff. Cool. That's pretty cool. And if, so, and if you want to start with Somerset, you can do the same thing, but if you buy the Somerset expansion and you've already got a character, that can just become the next area you go to, and the quests stuff will scale, as you would expect. And I think the ongoing support for the game has been nothing short of brilliant, to be honest. Um, there, there's work to be done in terms of, obviously, they've been working their way through figuring out how to make that game make sense in terms of um in terms of it being a free a, a non-subscription game Like uh, Wars, a, a, yeah. yeah basically But and they've been working towards that and that involves you know the in-game shop and all that sort of stuff where you can spend some real money on cosmetic items and stuff like that and there's some work to be done there but in terms of how they've been growing this universe and being faithful to the elder scrolls <laughs> as a franchise i think they've done a really really good job
0: They've really turned it around and it continues to impress every time I hear about it
1: from friends who play. Yeah, and the console versions are really good too, I want to know. Like when I when I do my hangover play a lot of so yeah.
0: Hmm. How about the console version of Divinity Original Sin 2?
5: It's a great game. It's a decent port from what I've heard. It's basically the exact like the controls are the exact same as like using a gamepad on PC, so it's like it, it's a good port. And from everything I've seen, but it's not really anything particularly new. Like, I mean, it would be better if we put it down as it been the Vindy Original Sin 2 Definitive Edition, because they have added a few things with that.
4: Well, Kazuma reviewed the console version, so I don't know if he has anything to say uh, about how it played and all that. Uh, so,
2: so, the reason that I nominated this was because I know when games get ported over to console or PC, there tend to be a lot of bugs or graphical issues and just it can just be a huge mess with divinity original sin 2 i had one bug the entire time i played that game so that wasn't really impressive to me because usually when i play games even if they aren't ported they have a lot of bugs and it can just be a huge disaster i think the only issue i had with divinity was if you play with stuff like um couch co-op and you move too far away from each other and someone is in a room with, like, a fireplace, your floor will turn black, but that's about it. That's the only graphical mm-hmm. issue I've come across in that game. Yeah, that's the only one. So in terms of a port, I think it did a really great job in circumventing a lot of, like, technical issues. Um, I think the menuing on the console version is really great. It can be really cumbersome to people who aren't used to going through a lot of menus because you do have your radial menu that takes you into, like, your inventory, which can take you into another menu and so forth. Um, I don't mind it. I'm used to these, like, really clunky UIs when it comes to Western RPGs, so I didn't mind that too much. Um, But it plays really smoothly, and it plays just like Divinity One did for um, the PS4, which is the console I played. So, I'd say it's overall, like, just a really solid port. So, that's why I wanted to nominate it, because it was just very clean, really good, got the job done.
3: Do
4: we know mechanically, I don't know off the top of my head, but, like, the Definitive Edition, like, besides being a port to consoles, did they add, like, anything else significant in terms of balancing or content, like, for all versions?
5: And, they kind of read, well, not really redid, but Well, yeah, redid some portions of, like, the last couple of acts, because a lot of people said that, that, like, the one issue that Original Sin 2 had was that it felt like the uh, final acts were a bit more linear than the previous acts, so they... I've heard
3: well, the last that. city, the last city is I only played the standard edition. The last city was arcs, I believe. And it was kind of like a straight line. Like there was like a couple buildings where you'd finish off a few quests and then you'd go to the end of the game and they really bolstered that up. I guess I haven't played it. So yeah, I wish I could comment on it more, but they, they took the last city and basically it, it was kind of sh- streamlined, probably due to time constraints before. And they said, okay, now we got some time to polish it up, add some, add some characters, add some dialogue. They t- they talked about like the number of words they added to the definitive edition, which was a lot. Like it was, I thought it was interesting that they counted words. It was several thousand and then you do some division and some estimations to determine how many lines or whatever, but they added, a, they added a, a lot of, of spoken dialogue, which indicates the quests and the stories and the stuff they bolstered with the definitive edition. Mm-hmm.
2: They also added like a new trial mode um, where you can just go and like fight if that's what you're into um, and that's the only other thing I can remember off the top of my head of them adding more content to the end of the game, which I didn't notice because I didn't play the original version. So I was yeah. like, oh, I guess it's always been like this.
4: Yeah, I'm reading their update on it now. They added 130,000 new words. They tweaked Ooh. combat to try to minimize things like difficulty spikes. Um and ad- adding new encounters and things to the final act and there's also yeah I forgot about I still this. think
3: it's silly that they that they count words but like yeah divide With, by ten you get the number of lines. Still. But
4: also they I, I remember this now beat it. They added a story mode which is basically a low difficulty kind of mode for people who are interested in the characters and story but maybe aren't so big on the gameplay or combat or difficulty. and They just want to kind of breeze through it. So that's kind of a neat. Uh, accessibility sort of edition they made.
0: Get any, like, a Nintendo E3 presentation to run down these changes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, these are all sound really fucking good. Uh, not, a, not an easy category, for sure.
3: Right, there, I mean. there's not, like, a clear winner...
5: Like I'd even say that there might be some arguments for Monster Hunter World just because, again, it's all free and it's all been within like the last it year. It is, but, but I,
1: it, I just I don't feel like it's been that. I don't feel like it's been that impressive. I, mean, I, 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 I haven't mean... really,
0: I haven't really gone back to it ever since they added Col- the, that limited Col-V tear-off thing. That that was fun to to play with, but like when I think about the the, the additions they made to Monster Hunter World, it's it sounds really good. Like you know in terms of, like, just offering it for free for a limited time and whatnot, and even, like, the new, not the returning monsters, but it, there's just not a lot of pull for me to come back to it after all is said and done right now.
1: Honestly, from my perspective, I actually think it's Elder Scrolls Unlocked, thought... but never um... for... I can see the argument for Elder Scrolls. I can kind
0: of see it for Divinity. Destiny is Forsaken. I, I don't think it's earned it um, because it's been too inconsistent for me. But that's just that's just how I see it.
5: Well, I mean,
3: I feel I feel like Divinity and Destiny both are kind of like they bolstered weak areas of the game, so it's not like exciting. Like it's solid, it's good, it's it, it, fine. To, it's to, not them, like, to wow. them, it's
0: more to them, it's more of a make good. While Elder Scrolls seems more like it's they they, they took a turn you know several years ago, but now they're really starting to like offer new options for
1: for people who want to get into well, it well they, they spent a year setting it right basically in real terms but then once they had set it right they did morrowind which is an amazing expansion and now somerset is also really really impressive and i just think it does a great job of 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 being a consistent growing mmo i think um the other one is final fantasy 14 in that regard but i think this year was a quiet one for ff14 because obviously it was the it's the off year they obviously have a tick and a tock between their expansion packs and they've got the expansion pack coming in the new year or rather this year um so that's why for me i just feel like the amount of updates and the fact that the updates are so solid and the fact that the updates are so loyal to the rest of the elder Scrolls universe is really really impressive
0: Oh, we didn't go over Generations Ultimate yet. If you got, if you wanted to, I saw it on the list. Well,
5: I mean, it. I I, I think the thing with Generations Ultimate, it would feel a bit. It would feel more like an expansion slash port if it what if the uh, 3ds version to come over, because then you'd have the direct comparison like on the same system. But um, it, it's a good expansion, but it. I do feel like for me and a lot of uh, Monster Hunter fans, it kind of flew under the radar compared to World, which I guess is the main reason why uh, Capcom didn't bring it over sooner because they didn't want it to be overshadowed that much. But it, it's good if you like generations. Like Generations Ultimate is
1: good, but
0: it's we've seen it before. These types of additions to Monster Hunter,
1: yeah, hmm. yeah. And I, I don't know. I just think <clears throat> just, uh, I was I was. I know there's still issues with Destiny and they struggle to find their cadence with that game. And that's the difference, I think. Whereas um, Elder Scrolls Online has found it. They know what they're doing now and they're doing it well. And I think the game also is incredibly good value for money um, because of the nature of the way the ongoing support's been working, the lack of a subscription fee, et cetera, et cetera.
5: I can hmm. agree with that.
4: It's one of those things I have not I'm played... I am on Any... I have not played anything, The Elder Scrolls, but literally everything I hear about the updates to to the online MMO is positive. I mean, other than, like you mentioned, maybe some of the pricing, because that might be the one thing they're figuring out exactly is, if it's not a subscription, how do they monetize it and support it? But otherwise, in terms of content, I hear a, even some that of positive has improved, things.
1: Even that stuff has improved dramatically, and I think... The other thing that surprises me is that well, not surprised me, but that impresses me, is that they're still really good at. If you want to come into that game and play it like a single-player Elder Scrolls game, the game is built to let you do that, and it feels it doesn't feel weird, it doesn't feel cobbled together. But also, if you want to play that and you want to really get into the the online side and 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 grouping up with other players and stuff like that, that is totally an option too. And I think the fact that they keep they've kept to that core value while expanding the game is also really <laughs> impressive. Because I think once you to bring up Final Fantasy XIV again, once you, the danger is as you start expanding your game, you just constantly expand it with high-end raid dungeons that require really specific gear and you have to grind 18 times to get the right gear and all that bullshit. And ESO hasn't really fallen down that path, which I think is really good for an MMO. Yeah, I'd actually agree that um, like Destiny 2
5: Forsaken's raid... like it is not something that you can just like randomly do you need to like find people that are willing to actually run it with you in the first place which is surprisingly difficult now that everyone's kind of moved on from it for the new kind of mini raid but and then the actual mechanics are difficult so it's like like there's a lot of prep you need to do to in, in order to do the raids in destiny and I guess it sounds like uh, Elder Scrolls doesn't really fall into that trap nearly as much.
2: Yeah, Alex, you're making me want to play Elder Scrolls, so... And
4: correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously Final Fantasy XIV is not on this list for this year, but also, but Final Fantasy XIV's expansions basically require you to do them in sequence, right? Yes, yes, you have Which... to do
2: them in sequence. You need to start... With 2.0, go to 3.0, and now uh, 4.0, and you have to do all of the patch content in between as well. And additionally, while you're going through, you need item levels in order to progress the main story quest. If you do not have these item levels, you cannot access dungeons to progress your story. So it's all locked off around gear. You see, just, just
1: hearing this gives me a headache, and ESO is not like that at all. <laughs> One thing I will say that Destiny does
5: well about that that I really wish Final Fantasy would allow is that, um, like, with Destiny Two Forsaken, you're given like a little token that you can expend that automatically skips like the story up to the beginning of the expansion for you. And I wish I, Final Fantasy is getting to that. Fourteen point.
2: has that too, but it costs um, sixty dollars to do a job skip to sixty, oh, and then you and I'll, then you still just pay yeah, it. oh just yes yeah, yeah, and then you still have to level up to seventy, um, and it gets you through Heaven's War, but then you still have to do all of Stormblood. So at this point, it's better to wait until Shadowbringers comes out, so you can buy the levels skip, which might be ninety dollars. If they increase, you're still gonna
1: have to buy. Um... Yeah. 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 Come on. This
2: That's
1: is really why. Good. This is why I think Elder Scrolls Online wins.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm just, gonna agree with I, I, that. After, actually, after yeah. hearing
0: that after Ff14 thing, yeah, I'm gonna go with Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Definitely. Anyone want to
2: play fourteen with me? Uh,
0: uh, yeah. How, how much? How much will it cost me?
2: <laughs> um Wow. Well... 60
3: bucks plus some dozen hours yeah
2: yeah it's a lot
3: how uh, do you like
5: gathering cheese
2: hmm. oh god yeah <laughs> please james that hurts inside of me
5: I-, I remember before i started playing final fantasy 14 i had like some friends that had gone up to like the, the middle of um heaven's word and like as they were playing it like, in the voice chat, they'd have this thing where it's like, the things we do for cheese.
2: <laughs> that quest is, like, nightmare-inducing for me.
5: Yeah. yeah. I, I just zoned out when I went through it.
2: <laughs> yeah. But I yeah, I guess... That... I
5: just zoned out. It's, like... Yeah.
0: It's yeah, not worth it. Commendation for 2018 uh, for uh, port ex- or expansion to existing game goes to The Elder Scrolls Online Somerset. Okay.
1: So... We're at the end of the commendations now. We got one more today, and to be honest, this is a bit of a weird one. So let's we'll, we'll try and get through this one relatively quickly. Yeah.
0: So we but have uh, we have non-RPG commendations for RPG or from RPG fans, um, and the this list uh, nominees are Into the Breach, Sea of Thieves, Warhammer Vermintide II, 428 Shibuya Scramble, Dead Cells, Celeste, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Mega Man 11, and Return of the Obra Din. So this basically, uh, yeah, you you can go clarify it.
1: Well, it's just just, we want to pick a game that we think is amazing, that we think fans of RPGs should play. Um, And so I'll kick it off with the two that I put on this list, the the three that I put on this list. I'm just going to rattle through them really quickly. Mm -hmm. So Into the Breach is an amazing indie game that is... basically a strategy a turn-based strategy game on a grid in a style that might be familiar to your final fantasy tactics or disguise of the world doesn't really have any hardcore rpg mechanics there is a little bit of uh, character progression but it is a really really fun um sort of mix of that sort of combat plus sort of roguelike elements where it's very very difficult to complete and you can you get to keep certain things between attempts, and I absolutely love that game. If any of you guys played FTL, it's the same developers who made. I'm that
4: pretty one. sure Josh is
3: a huge fan of Into <laughs> it the is, Breach.
1: was my game of the year last uh, for 2018. Yeah. It's a very fucking good game. Phenomenal.
3: Um, I, I never try- beat the last ship in
1: FTL. Well, this is this is you've got to do that, and then you've got to buy into the breach.
0: Yeah. So so yeah. The, uh, they learned the right lessons from FTL. They didn't deem uh, back into like, oh, you have to like spec a certain way to like beat the game. There are uh, due to the nature of FTL and the way it its objectives are laid out, it's it, it kind of bypasses that problem that FTL had.
1: Yeah. Um, I also just want to touch on Sea of Thieves. Unlike Into the Breach, I don't think this is a potential winner, but it's just a really, really fun co-op action adventure game. And I think if you're the sort of person who enjoys uh, a multiplayer RPG or an MMO, um, it, there's so much to enjoy in terms of just exploring that world and finding things to do and just having a laugh. It's a new whole. game from
0: Rare. I mean, it's a brand new game from Rare. It's been a hot minute since they, uh, you know, made one, uh, made a new game. I a new IP. And it's really and, good. Yeah, and and they're and I see that like you know they're keeping up commitment to supporting that game. It's getting a lot of cool stuff that, down the pipeline as well.
5: Yeah. If we can get one new thing from Rare this year, I'd like them to release the PC version of Viva Pinata on the Windows Store so I can actually play it on Windows 10. i about to say PC version huh. of Rare Replay, man.
1: Yeah, all that. Well, you know, Microsoft's <laughs> sort of going that path, aren't they? I'm sure you'll be able to play uh, stuff like... I'm sure you'll be able to play stuff like Rare Replay, not only on PC. I'm sure soon you're going to be playing it on mobile and who knows where else. Alright. Um... um. I also wanted to uh, touch on Warhammer Vermintide 2. That's a game I played a lot of this year. That actually is sort of part RPG. Um, Vermintide yeah, is leveling. sort of like, what if Left for Dead was in the Warhammer universe? But it straight up has loot and uh, and and leveling your character up and all that sort of stuff. You have the different classes and the class abilities are very much because it's Warhammer in that RPG zone of... of Very beautiful of game, too. The like environment. Yeah, it's a really good game, and I can't recommend it. Again, I don't really think... Probably it doesn't win this category, but No um, Inside 2 is really, really good, and I wanted to give it that commendation here, just to, to shout it out, because I think it's a game that more RPG fans should give. Somewhere. Yeah,
0: it, it's basically Left 4 Dead plus Diablo, and if that yeah. sounds up your alley...
5: It's- also... Really interesting in the in the sense it's like Left a, a 4 Dead kind of esque game, but it's more of a focus on melee than ranged, mm-hmm. which is very interesting.
0: Cool. Um, the 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 ones I'll shout out here, uh, obviously my 428 Shibuya Scramble. Uh, my review's up on the site. That's one of the rare uh, perfect scores that uh, we've given a game. Um, it's a uh, just outstanding uh, visual novel, but it's it's like it's not a it's kind of a disservice to only when people hear visual novel, they already have like this certain sort of image in their, in their mind, kind of like an anime-esque kind of game, um, that might or might not work for people. This one is, uh, is real life, uh, photos and actors of, uh, of people. And it's just, it doesn't wear on its style. It uh, wears it proudly. It, it makes it work there. You can see like the production values in it. Like every, every screenshot, every photo, every expression, uh, that they convey in that uh, in this adventure really works for it. It's like it's like a mystery sort of novel uh, of a sting operation got uh, gone wrong, and then it's uh, it has elements of a, uh, of a create your own adventure type game. A lot of bad endings, but uh, it works to its strengths because um, a lot of them are very amusing, and the the whole game is structured uh, kind of like uh, twenty four the TV show, where um, it kind of the. There are hour blocks where you try to find your way through the story and try to find the correct path. And once you get through that hour, it seals that, and then you go on to the next hour, and then you try to uh, make your way through that. It it has multiple uh, protagonists, different perspectives of how things go down. It's uh, it's awesome. It's I can't vouch for it enough. It's one of the one of the highlights for me uh, this year. Um, Dead Cells, a very 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 good uh, indie Castlevania. S game uh great action one one of like the better action games i played throughout all all the video games um very snappy run based uh roguelike uh, it's uh, the the charm in it is um kind of making your own playstyle on the fly uh, you you work with what you're given but the it kind of it helps you get an appreciation and adapt uh your certain playstyle for each and certain Every run, like the, there are certain like weapon combinations, like like, like a Spartan kick, or like uh, or like only having shields with you, uh, like you can make that work. The game is uh, the game's design is flexible enough to kind of incorporate any normal play styles. It's tough, but it's fair. You kind of learn uh, uh, your way through it. It's, it's v- worth looking at, especially for RPG fans, since there are upgrade mechanics through it. Um, and you know, one of the unexpected games that really touched me this year was celeste and you, you see a lot of it uh this type of game it's a 2d pixel art uh very tight mechanics control wise uh challenging but fair has a lot of neat environmental things it's about this little girl climbing a mountain um and one of the best things about it is like the accessibility options in it there are a lot of uh tweaks uh you can make to the game to make it easier on yourself but it's it doesn't it's not like like putting it's not saying oh it is casual mode or whatever like putting any sort of like kind of label to it, it, it it's just to make you it's make you feel good to, to keep you moving forward and of course and one of the things that caught me off guard was like the really like adorable story to it it it, ha- it strikes the themes of like you know uh, kind of like pushing yourself motivating, motivating yourself forward and you know like dealing with like uh, your uh, with your, like, your inner anxieties and uh, like you know like your confidence in yourself it's 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 a beautiful story it's worth checking out and that de- uh, all three of those are definitely on my top 10 list but Into the Breach just I think uh is a uh, more solid
5: game
3: I wish I had more to contribute I haven't played any of those but I will say uh, that uh, I have Dead Cells Celeste. specifically is on my list I would
5: not cross out Celeste yet okay I would not cross it out. Because um, one thing about Celeste that really gets me is that it it has something for everyone. The soundtrack is really good. Mm-hmm. The art oh, style yeah. is really good. The gameplay is fantastic. Like, it's probably my favorite um, platformer out of an indie house since uh, Dust Force, And if you guys know how much I love mm-hmm. Force, that's a yeah. lot. Um, also, like, it has a lot of content. Like, a lot of indie, like, platformers, like, they're great. But it's like you play them, and it's like you have no reason to play them again, but Celeste has like the hidden rooms, the strawberries, the B sides, the c sides, and it's like if you really like this game, I can see most people getting like thirty or thirty odd hours out of it, and it's a fifteen twenty dollar indie game so and it's all good content it's not mm-hmm. like bloat it's like content that's actually worth playing. I feel like it's worth like accommodating it for that alone. So, yeah okay hello hi <laughs> um I guess kind of going out of order the uh, two that I put down were uh, Mega Man 11 which uh, fantastic return to form great art style the music is decent not as good as like previous uh, games in the series um, very good level design I think uh, forget the name of the youtuber but they did a video on it and it was like kind of showcasing how much they managed to do a so little um and Return of the Oberdin, uh Adam bought this for me like out of the blue and I started playing it I'm not done with it but the art style the uh story and how it kind of like ties into the gameplay and how you have to like manually figure out how each of these people died what happened who's who very interesting I think well, 2017 was a big year in general for games. I feel like the stars of the show for 2018 were definitely the smaller titles, the indie games. Stuff like Into the Breach, stuff like Vermintide 2, Dead Cells, Celeste, and Return of the Overden. So, I mean, I, I'd argue that Celeste was probably, like, as far as non-RPGs were concerned, I'd say it's my personal, like, hmm best of the year just for how much it did for everyone there was something for anyone even if it's not my personal favorite just as an overall package it's fantastic and it again it has something for every
1: type of player yeah Um, i think you know i don't know who put smash down but i think um smash is worth a mention just because uh, one it's amazing it's definitely in my top three games of the year. World of Light had more content than I expected. <laughs> yeah, and obviously it's a great, it's a great uh, as far as the the RPG angle goes. It's a great way to experience some some great RPG characters in a very very different setting. Um, but again, I, I don't think it wins. I mean, one of the things in this in this commendation we're trying to uh, to touch on is is why these games are, are worth an RPG fan giving a go if they don't usually play that sort of game. And I think the existence of Marth and Cloud and characters like that isn't necessarily enough on its own to get someone to play, especially a fighting game, as obtuse as Smash Bros. can be.
0: Yeah, I, I kind yes. of to on there because... But I, I
3: do want to share, mm-hmm. share one anecdote. I do agree with you, but like I was playing this with my family and my younger brothers over the holidays, and they've played like the newer Fire Emblem's, but not the older ones. So when they have, like mm-hmm. stickers showing like Leaf and Celith uh, or whatever, like I could say like, oh yeah, they're from these games on the Super Famicom or whatever. Or they've played Xenoblade 2, and they're like, who's Dunban? And I, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to share these sorts of things, and maybe maybe they'll pick up Xenoblade for the three DS or something like that.
1: yeah, yeah, it's a good way to introduce characters to people, definitely.
0: I put it um, on there because I had a really fun time, like uh, leveling up, like the the stickers and whatnot, and involving involving them, yeah. the, kind of the more more mobile game esque aspects to it. Which you know, maybe I'm a broken man, <laughs> but it, it it definitely scratched an itch for me in that aspect.
1: No, that's fair. I mean, I don't know. Uh, does anyone have any strong thoughts on this? Aside from, I think me and Josh have strong thoughts, but does anyone else?
5: Um, if we're if we're basing it solely off of if it like, best commendation for RPG fans, and I guess I could see the argument for Into the Breach over Celeste, but, um, yeah. It's that's, tough, that's both, of them, it.
0: both of them, both yeah. of them are near and dear to my heart in 2018. I just, I, from a, from an, R, I guess if we're going to do it for an RPG fan, it would probably be Into the Breach, Into in my opinion, Bre- but, like, it's just, uh, it, it's it's more, like, it's presented as a strategy game, but it's strategy in the sense of, like, it's like it's chess, puzzle. yeah. It's more of a puzzle game, yeah. because yeah. like everything's predictable in it. There, there's nothing that's gonna catch you off guard unless you didn't plan for it. Like every every move that you're making, you already know what's gonna happen in the next turn. So it's it's,
1: it's definitely it a logic puzzle. That. It, it definitely taps into that. It taps into some of that mindset that makes tactical RPGs really enjoyable. Yes, it's the same reason why I, I've said this for a long time. But um, the football manager games, where you—that's the UK version of football. Where you manage a football team, they're like low key RPGs because you're dealing with character stats and and who you're gonna deploy on your squad at any given time. It's totally it's a it's a it's a secret RPG, basically. The people mm-hmm. who play it don't realise, and the people who love RPGs who don't like sport don't realise either. Um and into the breach is sort of a different expression of that where it isn't actually an RPG, which is why it isn't in our proper nominations, but I think the, the the composite parts are just if you love RPGs, I think you struggle to not like this
0: yeah it it's different enough also like from what you've seen in the other like strategy RPGs. Cause it's it's a lot more about positioning every attack that you do most of the time will be pushing things uh like forward or backward or out of the way because your main objective in this game is to protect like uh, cities not necessarily to destroy everything and, and it's a yeah. it, it makes it unique in that way because like you see something that's about to happen and you see and it's one of the few games that like you can stare at your screen for like 10-15 minutes and like have a blast out of it because you're just you're just planning mentally planning in your head like because any number of factors can turn around a catastrophic situation into a favorable
1: one yeah and i don't know the, the shunting enemies around and stuff like that to me it's it, in a big way it's very reminiscent of this guy of doing crazy terraforming attacks and stuff like that in those Mm -hmm. games i just i don't know i think celeste is wonderful but i think into the breach is the one personally
4: this is maybe a limp contribution but i've played a little bit of into the breach i have not played celeste and into the breach like i mostly play rpgs almost exclusively um these days and into the breach kind of tickles my rpg i guess things i like uh more than Celeste. The other reason why I haven't played Celeste is because I, I haven't, it's not, it just visually, just from what I know of it is not something that really interests me. Um, even though it seems like it's a really great game from all accounts. So I think into the breach um, does have that RPG kind of affinity, maybe more so.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. You know, yeah. it's more in yeah. the spare okay. category.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, because otherwise, we 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 enter this discussion where it's like it's God of War on this list. <laughs> and yeah, so look, on this look
0: list. They, every game on this non-RPG list, we, they're all fucking good.
1: <laughs> yes, they're all yeah. pretty amazing games. Um, shout out for the mention of God of War, to the guy who kept asking us on Twitter if we were going to be. <laughs>
4: I mean, some people might be upset that we included Monster Hunter World oh, on here. I'm,
1: I'm fully prepared for the anger at the design. Hey, uh,
4: Capcom! Capcom themselves now calls it an RPG. I don't know if they did originally, they but they, up, they do.
1: An RPG.
0: <laughs> Just take a screenshot okay. of the official site. Where it, it says action RPG. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, uh, uh, best uh, or not best, but our, our non-RPG commendation for RPG pa- fans uh, is Into the Breach. And just one more time before we get into the uh, top 10 list proper uh, our commendations uh, for story, Yakuza 6, Song of Life, music, Octopath Traveler, design, Monster Hunter World, art, Octopath Traveler, environment slash immersion, Monster Hunter World, ports slash expansion to an existing game goes to the Elder Scrolls Online summer set, and for non-RPGs goes to Into the Breach. All Sounds right. Good. So, so here we go. Here we go into the proper our yep. top ten. It yep begins. Uh, totally correct. Hundred percent accurate. Can't be argued against. Top ten. Okay. List. Can
4: I, um, before we list them, just to make sure we're on the same page, we're not ranking these number ten, number nine, number eight.
1: No. So we ch- are. So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to. Uh, we have what seventeen games listed here. And so, for the benefit of everybody listening at home, these seventeen games are the games that we sort of we had a we had a poll where all the staff voted and all that sort of stuff, just to get ideas, and that gives us these these games. I think the seventeen, um, somewhat uh, eighteen. So, basically, with these eighteen games, now we are going to debate them down to a top ten. So, what we should be doing, ideally, I think. Is suggesting things that we think should be removed. And then when we get to 10, we will then try and reduce that 10 to 5. And then from that 5, we will pick one overall winner. So we're not ranking numbered because that just gets silly. So, or actually, we could do it one of two ways. We can either remove stuff or add stuff to make the ten. Maybe I th- adding stuff is easier.
3: I, th- I think definitely. we should be able to grab like four or five titles that are obviously like in the upper half of this list of 19 because we're basically cutting it in two. Yeah. Or well, I'll tell you two.
1: what, why don't, so. you, why don't you, Josh, run down the list and then mm-hmm. perhaps we can go around the group and say one each that we think should definitely be in the top 10. And then if there's any objections, mm-hmm. we can go over them.
0: Okay. All right. So right now, uh, the full list uh, is Yakuza 6th. The Song of Life, Valkyria Chronicles 4, Octopath Traveler, Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk, The Bard's Tale 4, Barrows Deep, Ninokuni 2, Revenant Kingdom, Kingdom Come Deliverance, The Alliance Alive, Dragon Quest 11, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Monster Hunter World, Moonlighter, Pillars of Eternity, Eternity 2, Deadfire, Life is Strange 2, Episode 1, Pokemon Let's Go, Darkest Dungeon, Banner Saga Three, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, and Destiny Two Forsaken.
3: So I'm gonna cut in line and chime in first because we haven't mentioned this game yet. I'm gonna go ahead and say that Dead Fire should be in the top ten. It's really yeah. the only like non—it's the only Western game that really. Felt like quality this year. There's a couple games, or at least one game, that we haven't mentioned at all that released in November uh, that wouldn't make any of these lists. So, and then there were the, most of the other Western RPG developers were kind of quiet. So yeah. I just feel like we should. Well, everyone Dead was is a great game.
1: <laughs> everyone so, was running scared from Dead, top ten. And yeah. and you know, uh, except Professor, who thought we're going to put out a Fallout game. It's going to be great, and then it wasn't. Um Get, and kept, kept, kept on giving. So yeah, um I think the fire belongs. Um if I'm gonna do one, let's do Pokemon. Let's go. And keep in mind this isn't gonna be set in stone then. When we look at the list, if we're like this belongs, we're then gonna have to talk about what gets swapped out. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh Kazuma had to duck out, so uh obviously i'll I'll vote in this place Ja six yeah.
1: yes,
5: that's um since monster Hunter is definitely gonna be on there anyways, I think I'm gonna argue for a uh, labyrinth of refrain Covenant of dusk,
3: so you're saying we should just put both of those in yeah right
5: now? I don't think anyone would disagree that it, that uh, monster Hunter is at least like top five. <laughs>
3: Yeah,
4: the only people who would disagree with that are people who are like, it's not an RPG.
1: Angry really people on Twitter. I'm. Hmm.
3: Uh, it didn't win any of the commendations, or not win, but get called out top. But uh, Dragon Quest yeah. we gave it a ten yep. on our site. It's a great game. So
5: that's probably also top five. We'll we, we
0: we don't know yet. No, we're just yeah. doing the top ten right now, and then we'll. Figure it out.
1: Let's say Octopath. Mm-hmm. I do
5: Valkyria, uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4 first.
4: Well, they, there's room for both of them.
5: Yeah. Now it gets harder.
1: Ooh, that is difficult. Uh,
4: I, I haven't picked one yet. Um, first of all, let me just say on Kazuma's behalf, I know he... Has some misgivings for Yakuza Six, like in terms of the series as a whole. Just, just to mention, but I'm, I'm sure he would have put it on this list for what it does do well. Yeah, I don't want to misre- misrepresent him while he's not here, but right.
1: no, but yeah,
4: because yeah. um, he just had to duck out after the commendation. So I'm gonna, I'm going to looking at what's left and what would be top ten. Uh some of these exactly games I put on here. I'm gonna put Bard. I'm gonna suggest Bard's Tale four. I'm probably the only one who's played it.
1: No, I played it. It's good.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
5: Uh. Hmm. Cool. Uh, I could. Mm. Let's not do Nino. So for let's those I
3: don't, for those I don't have a visual aid, we we've got nine titles, and yeah, it seems I'll, like I'll, I'll list I'll list them off once we get the. the We're time. not going to go over. All right. Yeah. Um
0: I don't I I, would, I wouldn't I, I, I wouldn't put Nino Kuni 2 on there.
1: I I really wouldn't. I wouldn't put Nino Kuni and I wouldn't put Kingdom Come because I think it's too it's well, too all bad. over the place. The 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 quali- the, the quality the overall quality level is not is not good enough.
4: I should mention that when I reviewed Kingdom Come, I had waited for patches because there was a lot of bugs and issues yeah. with side quests especially, like events not triggering. Kind of like messy RPG design where it tells you to talk to this one person and then you talk to them, but they, it's like it doesn't trigger some event. It's and it's, it was really awkward. And even after a couple of patches, I just I had to. I put a review out just saying it has some good ideas, but it's it's kind of a mess. I mean, it's an indie game, big scope. It was kind of inevitable, but yeah.
1: Okay, well, this is where we get to. So, I'm going to suggest I've already crossed out. Life is Strange too, because as we discussed earlier, it's not yeah. fully out. The first episode's really good, but no. Um, I also think we should get rid of Monsters and Third Generations Ultimate, because Agreed. it is just a port of an older game, and there is a far better Monsters game already on this list.
4: I suggest we cut Darkest Dungeon, because it released not this year, really. It had, it had the a port yeah. and an expansion, yeah. but I don't think this year would be the year to give it put it in a list.
3: Man, I feel like this is going to be between because um, James and uh, Josh both uh, no, have uh, a lot of
0: things to say
3: about Forsaken.
0: Here, here's here's my here's my dark horse and about the secret number nineteen because that's actually how <laughs> of I feel. There's actually <laughs> I, I actually think it's better than Forsaken in IMO. <laughs> uh,
5: let's see what so I, I he, last So, you so, added
4: Super uh, Robot uh, Wars X as a wait, so, no, no no.
5: here's the real dark horse. Here's the real dark horse.
4: No, the Ardu's Adventure is terrible.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> it is the worst Falcom game. It is the worst
3: one.
1: So we're gonna How add fall Fallout to this yet? list, basically. Is that the next step? What's um, that? <laughs> I said we're gonna add Fallout 76 to this list next. That is now, I don't think well, anyone's bit... had that much Kool Aid. I think this could be. I think it could be Banner Saga. I haven't played it, so I can't I just, say. I, I think it's you. a really strong. It's tied up in this problem, which is that it is the conclusion to a trilogy, and it picks up right after the second game finished. And it's I truly. i we're making that
5: argument. Look to our deliberations last year and how much, how how much I argued for Trails in the Sky: A Third being on that list, and how you said that the reason why mm. it shouldn't be there is that it didn't. Well, stay. yeah. Well,
4: that was between, Blaster's deliberation was basically whether it's top 5 or top 10. It was right on that edge. And we had to, pick, we had to find something to basically give it merit or dismerit for. Yeah. But, so just to kind of summarize where we, where we are right now, we're trying to pick one more game to be in the top 10. And we are choosing between The Alliance Alive, Moonlighter, uh, Banner Saga 3, Destiny 2 Forsaken, and Josh's Dark Horse Super Robot Wars X.
1: So I haven't played it all, but I don't think The Alliance Alive is anywhere near good enough. I
5: know some people that really swear by it, but I haven't played it yet, so I wouldn't feel comfortable putting it in there.
4: Okay, I included this game. I'm probably the only one who played it. And I included it under the assumption that it could possibly be top 10, not top 5. Really because of just lack of games, like it might be good enough if there wasn't a lot of competition. Um, it is a solid Saga-like. It's got mechanics like the Saga series. Um, it's got this fun combat system um, that is re- reminiscent of Saga games where your characters don't really have levels. You level, you power up skills. You power up stats. Um, your characters are basically extremely flexible in how you create them and what weapons they use and what skills they learn and they, they, they. Well, right now, you're up. saying a lot of good
3: things about it.
4: No, yeah, this is this is this is why I included it. They power up um, by the exercised use, like the way you use a character. If you use a character purely for defense, they become better and better and better at it, um, and things like that. Uh, the reason why the the things that it has against it. One of the things about this game that they really sold hard was comparing it to its predecessor, which was the Legend of Legacy. Uh, that game basically had no story. Not by design. Like it was no. it was just not a story-driven game. You know, that's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, this game they were like, oh, we got the creator of Suikoden to write the story for this. And Suikoden is um, at least pretty well regarded, maybe not for its story, but for like its characters and scenes and things like that. But that totally fell flat. The Alliance Alive is extremely generic on that front, like extremely generic. It is not memorable or remarkable in that front, in that sense. So it's basically a, a top-heavy game. It's got some neat, nifty saga mechanics, but that's about it.
1: I nice.
5: feel like if uh, Kazuma was still in here, he'd definitely be arguing for Moonlighter. So, like, but the problem is. Well, I was going to say, play I, it?
1: I played it, and I played a lot of it, and I think. I think Banner Saga and Moonlighter are both better than were well, better than Destiny. I can't say I've played Super Robot Wars X so I can't speak to yeah. that one. But I think I, Moonlighter and Banner Saga both I would put above Destiny 2 Forsaken. Yeah. So, I'd,
5: again, I'd argue that especially the stuff they did in Forsaken with the Dreaming City was really cool and was the closest in that expansion that it felt like they were actually having fun developing it and not just trying to fix something. But... <sighs> It's like again, I know I'm the only one that really feels strongly at all about Destiny and like what it well the um what the expansion did right. Like there's some really cool stuff in there, especially with the new like dungeon type thing they have with the Shattered Throne and whatnot, but I I haven't played Banner Saga three, I haven't played Moonlighter and so I don't know like how they'd stack up for me personally, but See, for me
1: personally, it's, it's Banner Saga over Moonlighter. Um, and yes, I I take your point about... um, I spoke out against Trails last year because it required knowledge of previous games. But again, that was the difference between top five and top ten. Yeah. And I'm not saying yeah. Banner Saga is a top ten. It's a top five game. But I do think it's a top ten game. And also, it's one of those things where sometimes with these awards, you're awarding more than the game, in a sense. And I think this is the closer of the trilogy, and I feel feel like they deserve some recognition for an independent team.
0: Does it close up strongly, though? Does the ending feel earned after all? Yeah, it's good.
1: It's good. It's good. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend... uh, Liz has a great review on the site. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she gave it a 9. And uh, my opinion is basically that... It's uh, sometimes the sometimes the combat and stuff gets a little bit gets a, drags a little bit, but um, it's it's a real strong it's no Mass Effect. For it, let's put it that way. It's, I can it's see, a real uh, strong resolution to what they've set up beforehand.
0: I, I can see if you feel that this. Strongly about
5: that, then definitely put Banner Saga over Destiny.
0: Yeah, I can see this boiling down to either the so, Alliance Live, Moonlighter, and Banner Saga three because I, I've. Everything I've heard about Banner Saga three, it's like people who were already into that feel like it was a worthy conclusion for that game. You didn't have like a, a major outlash to that con- conclusion, like no. how, like how Life is Strange the original season did it. Um,
4: I, Banner Saga, maybe this is just repeating what's already been said, but it's always tricky when it's that third game in a series, especially an indie series where you may not hear so much about it because it requires the first two and, like how many people have played the first two to get to the third one at this point, Brian, have you played, I know you played the first couple of games. Have you played the third one yet?
3: I've played the first two, but I haven't played the third one. And my reasoning might be a little bit shallow, but I guess they're connected so strongly. Like, I believe your characters, like levels and stats, literally carry over. So it's not like three parts of a trilogy; it's almost like three parts of a longer game. And like, if someone died in two, and you import, they're dead in three. And I
1: mean, you obviously like, can. I, I'm not sure. I'm mid-season. not sure I
3: have right. But like, I'm not sure. Like, is my Banner Saga two end game file? What I want to start with? Like, kind of the indecisiveness. I'm like, oh, I'll just put it off, and then I, I'm still in that putting off mode. So I've I've not played three, but I did enjoy the first two. Uh, three does strongly require them, so that's my that's the extent of my opinion on Banner Saga.
1: I mean, you could say that about any game that does this. stuff you could say that about Mass Effect, right? Um, mm-hmm. right? There are opportunities to to adjust, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I think I think it's Banner Saga, if I'm honest.
0: I can get because behind I mean, Banasaga. I think I, Moonlighter yeah. is a
1: great game, but it lacks the longevity in some places. Um, it lacks the staying power, whereas I feel like Banasaga is just a great achievement in terms of the series as a whole.
0: All right, so I'm on board. And I will,
4: I mean, I'm the one who put Alliance alive for, for recommendation, but I, like I said, I literally put it there just, because oh, wow. I didn't know if we would have enough games to fill out that six through ten spot. It's
1: been a quiet yeah yeah.
4: Um, and it, like, it, I thought it might have been there might have been a chance we just might have needed something to fill it, and it has some merit. Nah, dude, but, I, I would have been
0: like, yeah. "No, fuck you, SRW is better." No, just kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I, like I said, Destiny Two Forsaken is a really, really good fucking expansion, but it's just it's just inconsistent enough for me to like not not feel so strongly about. It. I. I I loved what I played of Destiny 2 Forsaken and especially like the the way they kind of Mega Man uh it up the bosses in that, you know. That that's a really cool idea. I hope they lean more into that. If anything, I hope they they make good on Forsaken with future content whatever is in store for Destiny 2 or in Destiny 3 or whatever. Like they just need to stop making it such a roller coaster. It's hard to like, you know, be a true fan of that game for me
4: because Yeah, of that.
1: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. okay so i respect that, that gives though. us 10
4: so that we have 10
1: yeah yep.
5: honestly like we said it's a it was a slower year for rpgs but looking at this top 10 it's like <laughs>
1: there it was something news. for everyone yeah good year so okay here's what we, we need should, to do now
4: we should read down the top 10 just uh,
1: yes okay yeah. in no particular order so
0: no in no particular order are our, our 10 games uh right now are pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire, Pokemon Let's Go, Yakuza 6, The Song of Life, Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk, Monster Hunter World, Dragon Quest Eleven, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Octopath Traveler, Valkyria Chronicles 4, The Bard's Tale 4, Barrow's Deep, and Banner Saga 3.
1: Hell right. of a list. So, it's a great list, but what we now have to do is pick a top five. Now, I think some of them are quite obvious, Monster so, again, I would suggest the same thing. Why don't we each put something into the top There's five, five of us, so
4: we can each pick one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so if I start, I will move... Uh, I will move up to Path. There.
3: You don't have any qualms about its disjointed story?
1: Well, I,
0: I want to. I'm, I'm surprised, but we'll see.
1: <laughs> let's do one each first, because yeah, I was, yeah. I was, I was thinking about that first uh, as well. But let's see what else ends up up there, and then we can.
0: All right, all right.
5: Um, That's why I did our okay. okay. I'd say Labyrinth for Refrain is top ten, well, top five material.
4: Okay. I'm going to second him on that. Start it's an, it's kind of an unknown game, but I also played it, and I feel strongly about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it because you two are probably like, "What the hell is this?"
5: Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to
4: pick Monster Hunter World. Like it's, I haven't even played it, but it it's going to be top five. Yeah. Like, like someone has to pick it. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah. Uh, I will pick Dragon Quest Eleven. Okay. So. And then we have one more to put in that theoretical top five.
1: I think it's probably the one I that's one will... there.
3: Yeah, I will repeat myself and say Deadfire.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Alright, are there, are there anything from six through ten that we feel strongly enough to maybe
1: contend one of the top five? I'm sort of torn about Pokemon Let's Go. I,
5: I from what I've played of Octopath, it does it what it does, it does really well, but I do feel like uh Pokemon Let's Go also does what it does very well. It's just I'm not like if I was going to swap out any of them, like from what I'm seeing right here, like I haven't played Pillars of Eternity 2, but from everything I've heard, it's really good. Um, I have played a bit of Octopath, and I have and I reviewed Let's Go, and I think I'd replace Octopath, but I'm not sure if I'd replace it with Pokemon, because uh, Valkyrie of Chronicles 4
1: was also very I,
0: good. Alex, so, why, why'd you put Octopath up there? I'm kind of curious, because you and I have been talking about this. Uh, because uh,
1: they, uh, I thought that the other games that I was going to put up there were obvious picks. Um, I.e. Monster Hunter Dragon Quest. For me, it is a question of Pokemon versus Octopath, but also... I hear the argument about Valk- Valkyria. Uh, I don't think Banasaga... I mean, we also have or... this.
3: We also have this uh, Cove and a Dust game occupying a slot two, which is a bit of a different.
4: Okay, let me give my spiel now. I don't know if it's top five. Like I, I'd be honestly happy enough if it's just being in the tied mm-hmm. with that, just giving it even a little bit of recognition. Mm-hmm. So. When this game came out in Japan in 2016, or it was announced in 2015, it released a while ago, and it got really good reviews uh, and reception from Japan and people who import those games as being... It's a dungeon crawler, so it's like an Etrian Odyssey um, type of game. So it's that's already a pretty niche type of style that doesn't appeal to everyone, but it got really good reviews um, and a lot of good reception, and I was, I've had, I had played a number of these games, so I was interested in checking it out. But it does something a little bit different than a lot of dungeon crawlers in that instead of just controlling a party of characters, you control a party of parties. So you you basically have five separate groups, known as covens, is what they're called in game. And it reminded me, and a lot of other people have made this comparison as well, of The Last Remnant, in, in that you're, it's, it's it's a totally different type of game, but you're basically managing up to. 40 characters in this and it's it has this really interesting kind of setup for how these characters all interact their formations you have a frontline unit support units there's a class system on top of it then you um, have the different packs
5: had like effects like your stats for each character in each slot and also what skills they might get and it's there's a lot of party customization. It's really interesting. I really haven't seen anywhere else in DRPG um the RPG genre and I I mean like I play a lot of DRPGs and I know that uh Adam here plays a lot too and as far as DRPGs are, are concerned, this was definitely the best one that came out this year and it's a very interesting like like just overall package as far as the gameplay is concerned. Not Man, even And I kind of
4: yeah, and to be honest, the gameplay is not even the highlight. Yeah.
5: Um,
4: but it's still good. Now, just to maybe clear some assumptions, a lot of dungeon crawler games, especially Japanese ones, kind of rely on maybe skeevy sorts of content to try to draw an audience and things like that.
1: Yeah.
4: Now, this game has none of that. Okay, maybe a little bit in like one enemy type out of the dozens there are. Wow, you but you
3: you you attracted that quickly.
4: No, but that's. I mean, I'm just. There's like one enemy type that is maybe it's like an angel or whatever. But, um, it's it has less skeevy content than Persona Five. It has less skeevy content than Valkyrie Chronicles Four,
5: probably. I, what I should um, say though is that there's a lot of graphic <laughs> and adult content, but it yes. it it doesn't feel like it's like a lot of it's like deliberately looks kind of gross. Like it's trying. It puts these puts this content in there not to appeal to someone necessarily, but because it fits the overall feelings of the game. Like, when in my review I said that it feels like a fairy tale like, as they're actually told, like gritty and all sorts of like rough edges. And I really liked that, because it was very different from the sorts of stories you'd see in DRPGs generally, and like the types of art and content. Like, the art style for the enemies like, and particularly the bosses, like it's very, very good.
4: Okay. Now, let me get to the highlight. It's the characters. It's yeah. There's two main characters in this game. Dronya, who is a 30-something-year-old witch. She's paralyzed. She's queer. And she is very caustic in that she is kind of very on edge. She is kind of sarcastic. She's not a very pleasant person. And then she, we have her... Forever upbeat and optimistic pupil named Luca, another a little girl, and these are your main two characters in their game. And when you're first introduced to the game, these two characters are already um, acquainted very well. You don't re- you don't really know their relationship. Um, you sort of see bits of it in their in their communication with each other, with the way they bounce off each other. Um, Dronia is basically kind of like a stern teacher type. And Luca, even though she is even sometimes uh, uh, bullied, in a sense, or even maybe uh, misbeha- uh What's the word? Abuse. Not treated very well, Yes, yeah. She even maybe abused a little bit. There's something there. You're like, why are these two characters with each other here? Yeah. And this game is really a character study on Drone. Yeah. Like, why does she act like this? Who is she? How did this relationship come into place? And- it's hard to talk about this without getting because, into spoilers.
5: Yeah, I agree. Um,
4: it, so it's so it's it's hard to sell. But as the game goes on, you basically the story the storyline in this game is okay, but it's not the highlight. It's it, you learn more about Dronia, her past, what she's trying to do, and how she became acquainted with Luca. Yeah, and her past is not a pretty one. It actually deals with some really tough material but it treats it 100% seriously. Yeah. Um and it's the it's hard uh, how do I put this? Dronia is not a very likable person from the beginning, like intentionally so. But as you learn more and more about her and her past and what things led to her where she is now, I don't know if you want to say you gained sympathy for her, I did. Maybe not Same. everyone does, but it's just uh it's just this really interesting way in how it builds um and how you learn about it and that if it's not if you're not sympathetic to it it at least catches your curiosity and your interest and uh, there's a lot i can't say and i won't say due to just spoilers because it sort of ruins it if i were to just say it out loud but the ending of the game like the ending credit sequence after the final boss beautiful is extremely memorable like you don't i don't really remember credit sequence very often but it, it's it's really really touching and how it works. And then it right at the end it kind of punches you in the gut. Um, and it's 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 basically it's extremely it's satisfying in a way and a happy ending. But it's not really a sad ending either.
5: It's bittersweet. Um,
4: and maybe uh, maybe a tangent to this, but this game achieved in for, for Nise America or not Nise America, but Nipponichi. That it seems like they're trying to make this their next Disgaea, um, kind of continue on from there. It's not a strategy RPG; it's a dungeon crawler RPG. Um, but I do think that it it's it's a very niche game in terms of maybe its appeal and its gameplay style. So it's not it's not a game that everyone that you can recommend to everyone. Um, but for people who don't mind first person combat um, and things like that, and uh, very in-depth mechanical systems. It doesn't even require a whole lot of micromanaging. The game helping you out with all of that. Uh, there are some issues with it I can t- I can mention uh, that maybe might knock it out of the top five. Like for example, it's maybe generally too uh,
3: easy. I think you've gone on long enough. I think okay, okay you've, yeah. you've
1: sold it and, as a top. And honestly, so. uh, yeah, I'm hundred percent sold having this. Yeah, I mean, that. That, that was a yeah. really
0: really good uh, pitch for that game. I I really yeah. want to try it out.
5: Like, and, like, I just want to say, like, the art style is really good. The dungeons are inventive, and they all feel, like, relatively unique. And it's just, the reason I rated it so highly was because it wasn't just the gameplay. It wasn't just the party management. It wasn't just the story. It was, like, everything it tried to do, I felt like it did at least fairly well, and then there was things that were standout, like the characters and the art style and the party management, and that's why I think it should be in the top five.
1: I've, I've been thinking, and I think maybe Pokemon goes in over Octopath, but it goes in either at the bottom, at fourth or fifth. Yeah.
4: Okay, let me ask a question about Pokemon Go. Um, yeah. I have not played it I kind of feel like okay. it's I've played a lot of these games, but I haven't played... There's so many. Now, Pokemon... I played a lot of Pokemon, just not Go. But it feels to me like it, just from, from a distance, that it has weaker RPG mechanics than previous games. It feels like it's lightened up.
1: I um, agree with that. Is that... It, it is, but I also feel like that's why it's interesting and important. Because they sort of had to pick their battles about where to deploy the traditional mechanics and where to, to curtail them a bit. So they got rid of stuff like, like, there's no Pokemon breeding in this game, for instance. So there's still the random stats and there's still stuff like Pokemon nature. So no two Pokemon are the same, but they got rid of breeding because they just decided they didn't want people to be farming, breeding, worrying about that farming steps in order to get eggs to hatch, because it's not a game with that competitive side that the other Pokemon games have. Um, and I just think they made really, really smart decisions about, like we were talking about the catching mechanics earlier, about what to strip out and what to keep in order to make a Pokemon game that's a great entry drug to the series. Because obviously their whole idea with Let's Go is they want to capture some of the people who play Go on their phones and get them to come to, um, what's his name, Masuda, the main Pokemon guy, he said this outright. He said, you know, we want to get people who've been playing Go to play Let's Go and then next year, we want to get them to play the proper one.
5: I feel like the I should mention one. that at least for my friend and my roommate, that's exactly what happened. Like, he started playing Pokemon Go with me because there's a good, like, route we can walk, like, when we get coffee or something. And, uh, he uh like, as, as we were doing the streams, like, the co-op streams for Let's Go, he ended up, like, after the first stream, he instantly bought a copy for himself. And he played through it. And now he's borrowing, like, one of my 3DS games and playing that one for, like, Omega Ruby. And he's totally hooked in the series again. And he only played the first generation of Pokemon. It didn't play Gold and Silver, Ruby and Sapphire, any of the ones after Red and Blue. And now he's totally hooked again. He's for sure getting the next uh, Pokemon games this year.
1: And I almost think that's why it's worth awarding. Because it is, you know, we want the RPG genre to grow and we want more people to be exposed to the the sorts of games that we love and that's coming in a couple of different ways in the modern age on one hand that's coming from games like destiny incorporating rpg mechanics or even a game like red dead incorporating rpg mechanics but also it's coming from making accessible rpgs for kids because even rpgs with art styles that appear kid friendly like a labyrinth of refrain are actually quite deep <laughs> games designed for adults right um and i think it's the things they did to the formula of the series to make it work and to make it uh, accessible are really really smart and whereas it's actually two very different sorts of games we we're debating here because whereas octopath is is backwards looking and he's saying what was great about the games of yesteryear and how can we recreate that and do that again um, let's go is saying, okay, um, how can we look forward? What can we do to get people to play the next time we do a big, proper, deep Pokemon game? I completely
5: um, agree with that, but I feel like uh even Adam agrees with me here. Labyrinth for Refrain is anything
1: but kid friendly. It has an M rating. Well no that better. But, but, <laughs> but that but that's my point. That's my point is that many there are a lot of RPGs out there that look like they have a kid friendly art style. Oh, it's it's cool cartoon, and actually, most of those RPGs that look like that aren't kid friendly at all. That's my point. There yeah. aren't many kid friendly Japanese RPGs anymore. That's and true. Actually, Pokemon that. is yeah. one of those. Pokemon is one of those games, and I think what they do in Let's Go is create a brilliant way for new young people to get into the genre. And maybe the end result of somebody playing Pokemon Let's Go is that eventually they end up on a Discaya or an Octopath or whatever. And that's why I think Octopath has a beautiful art style and uh, incredible music. But as previously discussed earlier in this podcast, but there are problems, systemic problems with its story and the execution of its narrative that just make me think they drag it down far enough that I think it may be just by the skin of its teeth. Maybe misses the top five in favor of Pokemon. I can show off that.
0: How are we? How are we feeling on Valkyria Chronicles for around the table?
1: I think it's a huge improvement, but I don't think. I wouldn't say it's My top opinion.
5: five, but if uh, if Octopath is out of the top five, I'd put it around seven, and Valk- uh, Valkar- uh, Valkyria Chronicles at uh, six.
4: Well, we're not doing numbers. We're just sort of... Yeah. It's like, well, one, it's like tier one, game. tier two. Yeah.
3: I think th- I think James is just saying like, yeah. the first near miss and the second near miss. So does so, anyone want to talk about Deadfire? Because right now it's kind of sitting in the top five. Without well, a lot can of I sessions? talk about
4: Valkyria? Oh. Sure.
3: Yeah. yeah.
4: No. Um, no. <laughs> okay, so I actually do not think it's a huge improvement over the first... Like It is in some ways, but... I was actually kind of surprised. So, in the first game, you can. The, one of the big knocks against it was that you could have scouts rush almost any map to win it, um, and some of the ranking, scoring systems, and things like that. And I feel like Valkyrie Chronicles 4 didn't really improve that at all, like barely. And not only that, but they added more ways you could sort of really cheese some of the difficulty or maps in the game with things like the the leader direct command and the APC and things like that and the ship orders. And I, I, I kind of felt like it was almost easier of a game for me because there's so many different ways to, to just kind of break the game in a way. And also Grenadiers in general are just really super useful, almost too useful. And I don't know, there's it's still kind of fun just to blow the missions wide open and to completely dominate. But I just kind of felt a little bit off on how easy it was just to sort of, like, cheese away through different difficulties or maps in the game, Um, where I feel like it was actually less... Maybe you could still cheese in the first game, but there it was from one exploit rather than three or four. I don't know. It felt weird to me.
1: You know, this is what we discussed. We touched on this earlier, but I think part of it is also context. Where if you come up the back of a honking piece of shit like Revolution, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna the response is going to be a bit more positive, even if the game isn't mega. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. I get it. I yeah, I four. I want to be excited more about four, but to me, it's just like it's it's more of one, and I'm like, I like one, but that was up time and it placed type of thing for me if you know what i mean
4: i also thought all the characters in four were a bit of a step down to the cast in one
0: completely forgettable Um, to me it's it's they're
4: more they're not terrible they're not like absolutely way they feel like they adhere closer to stereotype or traditional archetypes or things like that like oh this character is the childhood friend or this character is whatever and it just it's the I feel like the first cast, they were a little bit more unique. Uh especially like between Welkin and Alicia. They felt like two believable human beings, a little bit more so than like
0: A lot more. Um, so.
4: <laughs> maybe I maybe I'm hedging my <laughs> criticism a little too much.
0: No, but I yeah, I I get where you're coming from and I I agree that like just one's cast felt more endearing. Like, you know, they felt more like of a, a crew, a squad. Like in, in four it just it's so they, they all feel like they're connected sort of like a thread.
4: <laughs> I feel like it's easier to label the character in valkyrie Chronicles Four as this this is this character and this is that character that that you find in a lot of these sorts of Japanese media, especially where in the first game it's a little bit harder to put a label on. You know, like what archetype a character is. I feel like they were just a little bit more rounded, mm-hmm. well rounded. Yeah. So there's a bit of a it, like again, they're not terrible, but it's just. A I was playing it like. Uh, I wish
3: it was better. You're cutting out a little bit, just so you know. But uh, okay. just what you're saying is true. Like, Valkyria Chronicles Four is kind of notable because it's a return to form, but that's it doesn't go beyond that, which means that sitting in the bottom half of the top ten is an appropriate place for it.
0: Okay, so we've made the case why Valkyria shouldn't be in the top five. Uh, are we gonna do? Are we gonna move down Octopath and then replace it with Pokemon Let's Go for now? Yeah. Okay.
3: Or are you going to do it?
1: Yeah, do you, I mean... Go. Uh, go for it. Do you want to talk about Pillars of Eternity briefly?
3: Well, has anyone else here played it?
1: I've played it a, a fair amount, but I haven't like completed it or anything like that.
3: Alright, so um, Pillars 2 is... I guess the the main knock against it—it's already sitting in the top five pretty squarely—so I don't think I need to really praise it. But the main knock against it is that it doesn't—it doesn't have a whole lot of fanfare. A lot of people like people who don't take to it very strongly actually kind of call it like bland or flavorless, and I can sort of see that. But I actually think it's kind of, in a way, compelling. Like, Divinity ends up like I, Pillars gets compared to Divinity in recent in recent years, usually on the on the you know on the on the losing side, uh, but. Obviously, Divinity was was in 2017 uh, outside of the console port, but like Pillars Two is more of a down to earth story, which sounds kind of silly when it when it has you know the main character talks with the pantheon of gods several times, but most of the game is going island to island and talking to like the, how the trading company is interacting with the native uh, island inhabitants and their their kingdom is still trying to you know say that they have you know sovereignty over this place, but they don't have as much resources as the trading company and it's way more like down to earth and I can see why some people might think that's like boring or dull, but I actually find it actually kind of different like it, I, it ends up being more about like how characters are uh, their allegiances and wh- where they sit in their terms of their um how much power they hold or how much influence they have and whether it's a limited, just like a single trader in a stall or the queen that sits on top of the, of the castle in the, in the noble quarter. Like I actually found that really endearing. Actually, I actually, th- I think it is just
4: point. hearing about it. How it how, I think it's refreshing to have like a storyline. that doesn't become like a big global scale, epic end of the world type of thing, which this doesn't sound like it gets to that point.
3: Right. So Deadfire's main quest is usually knocked against it. And it's 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 this. I can sum it really shortly. A god inhabits a giant statue, stomps across a bunch of islands in a straight line, heading towards an important location. And that's pretty much, like, the conflict. Like, is your island going to get stomped on? Is, uh, like, what's going to happen if they destroy uh, the, the, um, the relic at the end of the path? Like, who? it's it's gigantic it's the main knock against it so it's it's really kind of like a straight it's like a straight arrow there's no like twists. there's no turns there's no there's nothing that really like wows you about it but it's just like this is the conflict these are the these are the inhabitants that are involved um and then it just goes from there it doesn't really it doesn't really do it with pizzazz or anything but it does do it with with a lot of finesse i feel so One one the last thing I don't want to go on super long about this like Adam did on Kevin but uh, one the one thing I do think that it does strongly is that each the the native island inhabitants kind of have their own like colloquial dialect like they'll have their own like slang and idioms and the game will kind of highlight those where you can mouse over them and see what they what they mean by certain words so they're made up words it's fiction but I think it's just kind of like huh that that does make sense they they would have their own way of talking. And the uh, trading company, which are foreigners, would, would wouldn't speak like that. So it's like little attention to detail like that that I think kind of puts it, uh, you know, it kind of elevates it in a, in a way where it doesn't like stand out. But when you think about it, you're like, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Like it, yeah. it feels like a cohesive world. It doesn't feel like a theme park.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's definitely yeah, I mean, As somebody who's played it, I, I agree with all of that. The, the way the writing is, is framed in that game is something really special. Like um there's just lots of little touches that really i mean, as you said, with the mouse over of the slang terms, lots of little touches that just make it feel really real I don't know, yeah,
3: I mean, that's kind so, of the way to put it, it just it, it, it doesn't feel like it's phony characters, like archetypes it feels like if it actually feels like these are the sorts of people that would that would live in a place like this under threat by foreign people with a lot of money, etc. <laughs> It's almost like colonial theming. Can
4: I talk about Barrow's Deep just really quickly, just so we don't leave it?
3: No. Like, no. it's not top
4: five, but just so we say something about it rather than just, like, letting it passively sit there. Um, so, you played this, Alex?
1: Uh, yeah, again. Um, didn't get or the- part of get it? I finish it because it's been super busy, it's, but yes.
4: Yeah, okay. Oh, so... Yeah, just to just a to touch on Barrows Deep, briefly the bard's tale, Barrows Deep. Um, I have not played the first three games, and from my, what I gathered, this game is way more puzzle oriented. It's like a first person puzzle game, which I know some people were really put off by that. Um, but otherwise, it has a really neat turn based combat system. It's a it's a basically a first person dungeon crawler, um, Western style this time, but it has a positioning element where you're where you're sitting on a grid, so you can't just attack any foe that you want you have to be in the right position to do certain abilities and things like that. And there's not one but two different basically consumable resource pools in battle you have to keep on top of. One is called opportunity and one is called is your magic power basically. And it just becomes this really cool um with a class system on top of all that like usual classes and race. It comes this really cool flexible battle system, turn-based battle system that it has um that it's again, it's a little bit involved, but it it allows for a lot of flexibility in the things you can do and the ways you approach battle, um, and it has a it has a pretty neat style to the game overall. It the storyline stuff really lost me pretty early. Um, so I didn't really care about that, but as long as I was just given pointed a direction to fight enemies and to basically tinker with that battle system, I thought that was pretty cool. So that that was the shining
3: point of that game to me.
1: Yeah, I think the... the unfortunately, that's
3: about. not enough. Yeah, unfortunately, like, when I look at that game and someone tells me that the battle system looks interesting, everything else about it just looks really dull to me, which some people might think that about pillars, so fair enough. But, like, not enough to, to really sit anywhere other than the bottom part of the top ten.
1: Yeah. So.
3: So I think we've touched on everything. So what's currently in the top five?
1: Uh, right well, we haven't just, just to with say, a radio we haven't voice. really touched on Banissagar or Yakuza but we really touched on those a lot when we were talking about the commendations. Anyway, yes. So that leaves our top five in no particular order: as uh, *Labyrinth of Refrain*, *Pokemon Let's Go*, *Pillars of Eternity Fire, Deadfire*, uh, *Dragon Quest 11 and *Monster Hunter World*.
0: So I think we're just picking what wins. Number
1: one. Number one. We're, we're picking a winner um and i think it's it's one what? of two games <laughs> yeah,
0: pretty much i think it's it's either monster hunter or dragon quest yep yeah and both of them are phenomenal in two separate opposite ways you know mm-hmm. monster hunter is all about ambition in very risky territory dragon quest 11 is a really 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 strong solid base on just fundamentals like how do you the what the rpg like the genre is at its core when 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 you're thinking about like what it, what it stands for monster Hunter world is like pro- progressing that forward
4: one thing we touched on or liz touched on in her in her his podcast was like dragon quest is actually kind of interesting now is a lot of other franchises have um, tried to evolve and change their stylings and uh, their design and combat and everything um, where dragon quest has almost become sort of unique in how close it adheres to just a classical Japanese RPG style.
2: Yeah. And
4: it, 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 it almost leaves it in a unique position. Like it's, it's one of the only ones that still does that. Like it, oh, it, fantasy it's has changed.
0: Style.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Persona is of course, it's own thing. Um, all these other games are, you know, trying to add new layers or trying to tweak things, which is, you know, of course, it's cool to see all this innovation. But Dragon Quest is just like we know what we want to be, we know what we have had success with, and we're going to stick to that. And uh, I get, I appreciate it in a way.
0: It, like it's, it's a weird thing, but like the most innovative thing that Dragon Quest Eleven does is try to have this selectable hybrid system like how Dragon Quest X has it where you can like run around battle with no real consequences. You can just run around if you want to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
5: I think for me, it comes down to when we think about RPGs in 2018, five years from now, what is the one that's going to come to mind? And I think for me, it's definitely going to be Monster Hunter World just because of not just the game itself, but how much it's invigorated... The monster hunter franchise like outside of japan it is a mainstream series now and that's something that dragon quest unfortunately wasn't able to do like i don't know i'm not sure how much that should factor in but i do feel like that all else equal monster hunter definitely succeeded in becoming a worldwide franchise
4: now here's the elephant i guess uh in the room Mm -hmm. monster hunter world how much of an rpg is it i mean mean, we're we're we're, we're a genre site to be honest there aren't that many genre sites um so we have to put a special consideration on
5: there's an rpg
4: and that's always a tricky fun question
5: they
0: display damage
5: numbers numbers now (laughs) yeah damage numbers the behemoth fight which was dlc is legitimately like the behemoth fight from final fantasy 14 like you even have a tank role and like <laughs> enmity it's like
0: ah uh, yeah uh, I, I wish i did the behemoth fight that that looks cool but yeah they, they did assign like rpg roles to that like there's yeah. like a holy trinity well not a holy trinity but there's definitely a dps and tank role i don't know if there's a healer role but but, but, hey, like in some streams I did for the site, there were definitely healer roles in that. that we have definitely our group a, a section of our community that likes that is very specialized in keeping the party alive. Like they know how,
5: yeah.
3: Monster Hunter is definitely the more exciting game because obviously, everything the Monster Hunter world is encompassing is changing and adapting and growing. And it does pretty much everything it sets out to do brilliantly. With the only knockback that I see that I actually kind of nod along with is like the scout flies. Like people talk about that, might be a little bit too. The, the getting uh, get, getting the onboarding on like on it, like they getting the multiplayer
0: everything set up. Like that shit still fucking sucks. Like getting your mind yeah. wrapped around how oh, right. the
3: multiplayer structure works. Yeah, that that that's like. And, and then Dragon Quest on the other end is just like the soundtrack. I don't right. want to say it's not exciting, but it's like. Everything in Dragon Quest is a known commodity. There's nothing there that's really going to, like, surprise you. But it doesn't mean it's not going to please you or you're not going to think it's amazing. It's just that everything about it is well-worn. It's though, RPG comfort. I face. guess. Yeah. Like, I, that sounds like I'm disparaging it more than I mean to be. It's just that it's it's a tried and true and proven formula, and it's executed to the best that that could possibly be. I mean, that's, that's why I was scored a 10. But Monster Hunter is definitely more exciting and more—I uh, don't know—it's it's fireworks compared to Dragon Quest in terms of how much noise it's made, how much like I don't know, how much discussion it's kind of uh, kind of in, imbued in different communities, both Monster Hunter and RPGs yeah. and action games and PC think, community too. Because, yeah, I so. think the
5: important thing is with Monster Hunter is it doesn't just do a lot of new things but there's a lot of substance behind it like as we're talking about in the commendations with the design and the environment it feels like a living breathing world when you're hunting a monster there's so many different things you can try when you're hunting a monster even if you're not hunting a monster like it's actually fun to do gathering now because it the world feels alive and you can grab things quickly and i mean
3: that's an interesting point monster hunter one, I know that's not the right word, but it was highlighted for two commendations when Dragon Quest wasn't. Just I'm not saying that this decides anything, just making a note.
1: Well I think yeah. I think that's part of that is obviously to do with with the nature of Monster Century is a game that's trying new things and is pushing forwards in interesting new ways. And and, you know, with all respect to Dragon Quest, as was just said, it's it's a game that is more focused on replicating what has come before not necessarily a bad thing in fact it isn't a bad thing um it's a difficult it's it's it's, this is a difficult decision (laughs) yeah Yeah,
0: because both of them are what one is at the top of its class because it it has gone through many iterations that were similar before it and it's just refining those to like perfection The other one is, just it's just a bold, brave new world for it, and it gets so much right out of the gate. But there are definitely things that, like you know, set it back that could be potentially rectified. Um, in this new new direction it's going for, you know,
3: and by 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 Monster Hunter changing up the formula, it's left. I'm not going to say a lot of people, but some people who aren't on board you know some people that don't like the changes they think that the 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 there's too few monster selection or there's there's not enough good arenas in these places that they're not built for large fights or you know i'm talking like what people who prefer like the generation's ultimate to world say where compared to like dragon quest since it doesn't since it more iterates than it does make sweeping changes it doesn't really leave anyone behind in the way pretty much everyone
5: i've talked to that's a huge dragon quest fan puts 11 in their top three so Right, yeah.
3: because it's because it's just uh, it's just it's just a lot a lot a, a layer of polish every iteration, and of course that re, that results in a you know in an excellent product at the end. Though it just it just I don't know it do, it, it doesn't. I it think doesn't the only way I it, like I I, Monster, I have more fond memories of Monster Hunter than I do Dragon Quest. Yeah, and Edition.
0: in my in my mind, yeah, like
3: when, so. when I think of
0: games, I value the most it's the ones that are always trying out risky stuff. Like yeah. new, th- things that have actual stakes to them, like you know, Dragon Quest Eleven was in my. It's it's not really gonna like quote unquote fail because it's just it it, it has its base. It's it's gonna satisfy that base, you know. And because it's not it's, not, it's never gonna try something like crazy with Monster Hunter World. It was risking fucking almost everything on it, you know. And, and to me wow. that, that that's that's more that appeals to me more. That speaks to me more.
1: I've yeah. said it before, but you know this was this was a game that nobody thought was going to work—not even people internally at Capcom—and then suddenly, I don't know, a few people believed, and the response and the 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 end result is astonishing. Yeah, and I think that's I, I think that's I definitely. think the
4: only way Monster Hunter World doesn't win, here
3: you're not
1: win you are you are breaking up,
3: you're you're cutting out again.
1: I think I know what he's going to say though, which is the only way that Monster Hunter World doesn't win, were to say that we weren't going to give the we weren't going to give it to Monster Hunter World because Monster Hunter World isn't enough, quote unquote, of an RPG, and. Fuck I just that. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just don't it's it's enough of an RPG. I feel I make, feel like know?
3: that's I feel like that's an arbitrary penalty. Like yeah. we're
1: worrying about at the end of the it's day got too, It's
3: got too much of an action game in it. And so therefore we can't say it's better than the other
1: game. We never would have said this about Final Fantasy 15 for instance. Yeah. And I think Final Fantasy 15 is just as much. Sure enough you're not leveling up, but you're worrying about equipment and loot and crafting. Uh, and and character class and move set and all this stuff is straight up RPG stuff.
5: I'd say it's more of an RPG than Nier Automata, and that's what that's the game we gave best of. The, well, no, that was one of the games we were giving best of the year to uh, last, year. On last year. Yeah, that was our winner yeah, last year. Our,
0: yeah. 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 Think about this: the level up isn't on the on the character regression you have in the game; it's the level up as the player. It's on your no, it's yeah, a, yeah. It, it's and it a also player.
1: yeah, also yes, yes, skill, yeah. So but yeah, again, it, as if it
5: comes down to it, like again, I'd say that Monster Hunter is more of an RPG than Nier Automata, and again, we gave it RPG of the Year 2017. I'm literally looking at our article. We, so I mean, yeah, I'm
0: I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more than fine giving it Monster Hunter World because I we, we, there's there's a lot of reasons for it. it. It wasn't a tough, it wasn't an easy decision, but you know, I think. I think it, it's it's proven itself. It's earned it, you know.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's one center, right? I think Dragon Quest is a very close second. Yeah, and although although we're not doing numbers, um, I think the top five. It's pretty clear where things have come.
3: All right, I have more apprehension about the um, the logistics of the RPG tag than i do do i think monster hunter world is a better game than dragon quest yes like is it a better rpg i would, I would probably also say yes even though that's far more nebulous yeah um so
1: I think i'm definitely on board
3: with monster hunter if, if Ik- i yeah. was
1: gonna tell someone to play one game on this list this year or rather last year or whatever whatever if i was gonna tell someone to play one game on this list it would be monster hunter world yeah definitely
0: mm-hmm. i don't the same thing Okay. So that there it is. Um, we did it. We did it. RPG Sites Game of the Year 2018 goes to Monster Hunter World. And you know, in though uh,
3: our and our, and we're set on we're set on our top 5, which yep. first uh, near miss unofficially is Octopath. Yes. yes. so so our
0: uh our, outside of uh Monster Hunter World being our top game. In no particular order from uh, the other games on that list, of top 5, are Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of an Elusive Age, Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire, Pokemon Let's Go, and Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk. And then making up the bottom half of that list in no particular order, Octopath Traveler, Yakuza 6, Song of Life, Buckiger Chronicles 4, The Bard's Tale 4, Barrows Deep, and Banner Saga 3.
5: That's a good list. That's it was a better plan. year than I thought. and Yeah, very good spread of different types of RPGs, which yes. is what really stands out to me.
1: Mm-hmm. And it does feel like this stuff happens in, in waves, and this year was better than expected, but I think this conversation will be very, very long next year. Yeah, uh,
0: 2019 is definitely shaping up to be one of the bigger years for RPGs, and it'll be interesting to see where we all fall on it but yeah yeah
1: uh, you, you know, there's some really you know who knows where kingdom are for instance will it be good or not that's probably our last opportunity <laughs> to say this without actually being influenced because probably we'll get it next week so yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Awesome. okay uh that wraps up rpg sites game of the year 2018 thank you for listening um you know and you can find us uh at the usual places, on Twitter, at RPG Site, You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash RPGSiteNet. On YouTube, youtube.com slash RPGSiteNet. Uh, there's the TetraCast on iTunes. Our um, Discord, discord.me slash RPGSite. Thank you, Alex Donaldson.
1: You are most welcome. It's always nice to come on because I don't get to do it often enough. Although, um, it's worth actually saying <laughs> to the listeners, so obviously... We're on a little bit of a break with the TetraCast. Obviously, Zach, who was the previous host, uh, has moved on. He's now at Sega. Um, So congratulations to him, and thank you for all your uh, commitment and help over the years. Um, And so we're taking this opportunity to recalibrate the TetraCast. And so uh, we will be back, and we'll be back with a slightly different format. And because of that format, you might hear a a little bit more from me. But yes, thank you for listening to our rambling.
3: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brian Vitale. You're welcome. I'm glad that Fire made the top five, and I might pick up a copy of Covenant Dusk. Same here.
0: Yeah.
3: Thank you, Adam Vitale.
0: You're welcome if you can hear me. I, we can <laughs> hear you. <laughs> hey. and, and thank you, James Galizio.
5: Yep, pleasure to be here. Glad that Labyrinth for Frame got some uh, recognition.
0: Right. And uh, thank you
3: for hosting, Josh Torres. Yes, yes thank uh, you, yes. Josh thank you
0: thank you all right awesome see you guys in the near future yeah
1: thanks everyone